0: I am your father. This is a Brandon Colby Jacobs from Facebook exclusive. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like
1: 1984. Touche, my nigga. Touche.
2: Yo, what it do, what it is, man. It's your boy Brandon Kobe Jacobson. You are listening to The established 1984 Podcast, man. And on this episode, man, I have somebody who, the funny thing is, is he plays such an intricate role in my career very early on in my career, especially when I first got back from Jacksonville. Thought I knew a whole lot, didn't know a whole lot at all until I got the opportunity to kind of you know, learn up under his learning tree, see what he did, see how he influenced some other people who were influencing me and really just, you know, help build a lot of who I ended up becoming in a lot of different and unique ways. A lot of people who are in the industry may know who this man is. And a lot of you folks who are following me back, whether that's from, you know, me being in a fraternity, whether that's just from the Brandon Kobe Jacobs from Facebook stuff that I did in the late 2000s, all that kind of stuff. You may not have had an opportunity to find out who this man is, but I'm excited to get a chance to sit down and talk to him for the first time in what probably is close to like a decade, uh, uh, to get to talk about his influence on, on hip hop history, his influence on moving the needle on what marketing promotions, guerrilla marketing, branding, and all of that is, and how it represents itself in 2017. I have, uh. My good friend Mad Dog, do do you want me to give? Do you want me to give the government, and you just want to go by Mad Dog?
0: <laughs> yeah, we go, we go, You know, it's, it's Manny Mad Dog now, baby. You know what I mean? The world needs to know who, who the real player is behind it.
2: Manny, how are you, man?
0: You know what I mean? Um, how you doing, brother? I'm good. Everything going, man? Everything good? I'm okay. happy to be on your show today, man. And and I love what you're doing, man. Support what you're doing, and, and salute what you're doing, man. In terms of being able to educate the community, man as to who the players are, who the people behind the scenes are, man, that have been been working and running this business, you know, for the last 30-plus years. For sure. A lot of people don't don't know that, don't understand that, especially a lot of new cats and new players, you know what I mean? Either they don't have the respect that they should have for the industry and and the leaders that have been here for years, man, and and the OGs, man, or they just don't know, you know what I mean? They're just ignorant to the fact that, there was somebody that came here before you and did this, man, and laid out a template to make this easier mm-hmm. for you to be able to do what you do today, man, and provide the opportunities that these cats are able to have today and present it today, and for them to be able to be able to move the way they do today. So, and that being said, man, I salute you, and I'm happy to be on your show, man. And Let's get it in, man. Let's spread the knowledge, baby.
2: For sure, for sure. Well, obviously, we know that you're not from Jacksonville. Tell the listeners where you're from. <laughs> Can you tell? Yeah, of course. <laughs> tell the listeners uh, a little bit about where you're from
0: and what life was like for you coming up. I'm, I'm from the Bronx, man. Born and raised in the Bronx, man. Um, didn't leave the Bronx at a young age, man. Left the Bronx at an at a, at a older age. You know what I mean? I'm not one of them dudes that that was there for five years or spent the first <laughs> ten years of life in his life and then wound up down south and still talk about Man, I'm from the BX, son. You ain't from the BX, man. You from wherever you landed, bro. That's where you from now. You <laughs> so that being said, I'm from the Bronx, I'm from the original, I'm from Polk Park, man. Where we used to do it at the dark, man, where where we used to do um uh, break battles, you know what I mean? And you had brothers like, you know, Grandmaster Caz and you had cool her. And you had Busy B and, and Brucey B back in the days, man, and and you know, brothers like that man that was out there building the culture. Mm-hmm. And at the time we didn't we didn't know really what we was doing. All we knew what we was doing us. Right. You know what I mean, and we was doing something that related to to us, excuse me, related to us and what we were doing and what our lives were about. our lives wasn't about or was hot at the time, which is dance music and you know, to be honest with you, that's that's where I came from. I came from dance music, I came from freestyle music before hip hop. Pick me up and embrace me, man. But I was always part of the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I was part of what they used to call um, Latin freestyle back in the days. Mm-hmm. Part of that movement from '84, '85, '86, and um, watch that movement progress, man, and develop um, a cohesive um, synergy between what was do- what we was doing there in the dance music and what was going on in hip hop at the time. You know what I mean? Because hip hop at the time was trying to expand this format. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and and do bigger music and do bigger things, just bigger than the boom, bat, bat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. That was going on at the time, because we needed to find a way to get ourselves on radio. So with that being said, I, I'm from the Bronx, born in the Bronx, part of hip hop generation, man, from from the inception. You know what I mean, um, and everything that was created from there at the beginning and, and the inception of hip hop and urban music, man, and the building of a culture. Mm-hmm. Understand a culture and a business right. that wasn't even formatted at the time. It was us doing what we do, and running around doing what we do, figuring out a way how do we get this music to the masses. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And how do how do we how do we provide a platform for us to be able to do this and be able to do it in one shot, not just here locally. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And yeah. not just and not just for our community, but we didn't we didn't know no better. You know what I mean? We were young. We were stupid. <laughs> we just knew that this is what this is what we wanted to do. Right. This is the franchise. You know what I mean? We didn't know that we could make money doing this shit. You feel what I'm saying? It just turned out to be that way after after the fact. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's where I'm from. I'm from I'm from the BX. I'm part of the original Boogie Bronx Boys. You know what I mean? I'm part of the Allerton Skaters. Back in the days when we used to do skating and all that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I got I got trophies for all of that man for my for my skating tricks and all that man used to be in a spot called Skate Key back in the days in the Bronx, where Front Master Flex got his start at, where mm-hmm. right I first started DJing, all these people started first in that because that's what we was into. We was into the skating. That's where the music was getting broke, especially in terms of our younger community mm-hmm. and being able to feed the music out to our community. That's where we was at at the time. We was all in 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 skating. Rinks. Right.
2: And it's funny that you, you say that? all of that. It's funny that you say all that because... It, it always is very interesting because I think that for a lot of people who aren't necessarily aware, they aren't necessarily aware of the, the impact of the Hispanic and Latin community on the infancy of hip-hop. And to that point, what is it like for you, being of Latin-Hispanic descent, growing up in the culture... And in the 80s as things are, are are kind of really building themselves are you received in the same way that the black community receives other people who are interested in in this thing called hip hop that's growing and developing is it a bit of a pushback what's life for you like in this culture in the Bronx in the 80s as a Latin Hispanic man
0: um, why wow, that's a good question man well Let's first let the, know, let the listeners know. First and foremost, I am a Puerto Rican. I'm a uh, I'm a Latino. I'm a Puerto Rican descent from the island of Puerto Rico. Born and raised in the Bronx, but um, started out in in Spanish Harlem. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, that's what my roots is at in mm-hmm. Spanish Harlem and okay. in, in in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But um, during that time, that's, that's like I said, it's a very good question because at that time, there was no acceptance, really of Latinos in hip hop even though we were part of the community and we have always been part of the Afro-Cuban you know right. descent mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I've never felt the separation between our communities
1: mm-hmm.
0: except that hip hop started really in the black community as a way for the black community to speak for itself
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the Latinos had their voice like I said in Latin freestyle and what we were doing and and, and salsa music and what we were doing and developing from the seventies to the from the late sixties to seventies to the eighties. Mm-hmm. So that was still building in the process as well. So that was our voice for the community. So hip hop really wasn't a voice of the community for us as Latinos. But even if it was in that community, mm-hmm. it wasn't our voice. But yet you have Latinos that have been in hip hop for for many many years. You know what I mean? From the from the beginning, mm-hmm. going back to going back to. Um, um, Sugar Hill Gang that had Latinos in it. you mm. know what I mean right going back to you know going back to um, whether you know it or not you know DMC's are, uh, uh, DMC's of Latin de- descent really I didn't know, know that yeah yeah he, he was adopted and he's actually of, of, of Dominican descent oh okay so there's always been Latinos involved in it nobody has ever looked at us and every time we try to make a, you know going back to crew and you know and and and, and um and groups like that, man, and Latinos that broke into the hip-hop community, but guess what? Never really got the opportunity because we were Latino. So guess what? Our voice wasn't being heard the same way. Mm-hmm. Supposedly so to everybody, our trials and tribulations weren't the same. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it was—it wasn't the same. It wasn't—it wasn't a quick acceptance for me into the community because I, first and foremost, I am a Latin Puerto Rican in the community. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I wasn't accepted. I was looked at from the white community like, "Oh man, you you in this you in this urban community? This is what you do. You a hip hopper?" You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I wasn't accepted by them. And then guess what? Going into the hip hop community, I wasn't accepted by the hip hop community because I wasn't black. Mm-hmm. I wasn't African American. Right. So it was like, okay, I was stuck somewhere in between, trying to figure out my space. Right. And that's where I spent a lot of my, my my development years at the beginning, before before I even got into the into the urban community, into the hip hop community. I spent my first few years just trying to figure out how I fit in how did a Latino Puerto Rican do I here that same knowledge that everybody else had had the same experiences that everybody had in the street How do I fit into this community? I'm not a rapper, you know, what I mean, I'm not a producer I'm a businessman. Mm-hmm. So how do I fit into this into this community? You know what I mean so from that being said when I first came into the urban community I, Well, I really started in the dance community. I got my first my first plaque Um, in 88 with a group called Expose. Mm -hmm. It was signed to Addison Records. Man, we had four top ten singles. I toured around the world for almost two years while I still went to college. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? so know that, because school is still very important. And we'll get back to that, but um, you know, that was my introduction into the business as a role manager and starting to learn the players and and the people that were in the business so that I could maneuver through the business without having to worry about what genre of music I was working at the time. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Right. It was it was about knowing the players because the players at that time were all the same the same guys that were working, you know, urban music were the same guys that were working crossover hit raised records. You know what I mean? they were working pop records. they were working, you know, working all genres of records. It was the same community. It would labels didn't have urban departments. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So there was no urban department to go and learn, and and learn the craft of being in this business. Right. Understand? You know so we basically had to go out and teach ourselves. And like I said, once again, I was one of few Latinos in the business at, at the time, man. You know, my uncle Izzy Sanchez, one of the greatest record promoters ever in the business, man. I mean, obviously a Puerto Rican Latino man that's been in the business for 40 plus years, as what everybody across the board. You know, there were certain people like Dad, my brother Buddha says, uh, my brother Gavias, who now manages uh, French Montana. You know what I mean? So there's been Latinos in it. But we pretty much been behind the scenes in terms of working the business mm-hmm. and not being recognized as Latinos doing this, but just being part of the community. Okay. You understand? So there was no, okay, we're like, we're, I'm Latin and I'm doing this and you black and I'm, you're doing that and the white boy's doing this and nah. right. There, wasn't, there no separation in the world because we was all trying to figure out what direction we was going with this music.
2: Especially, especially coming and, from the Bronx because... Even if I, I've I've had the pleasure of meeting Fat Joe a couple of times, and and I noticed that 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 seems to be a consistency even in kind of his personality and his approach to, to hip hop. Because he'll very, I mean, he'll drop the N word on, on quite a regular basis, and he doesn't he doesn't see himself as anything. He sees himself as a part of the culture. He sees him exactly. as just as much. I mean, look, look
0: at look at Nori. God bless what he's doing. Everything's going on now. Mm-hmm. You know, Nori's a Latino. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of people didn't, didn't know it because he played into a community. Right. You feel what I'm saying? So we wasn't looking at the fact whether he was black, Puerto Rican, whatever whatever he was. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? And it's the fact that he was doing good music. That right. was a Fat Joe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? From Flo Joe, man, going back to them days, and I worked that record, going back to Relativity. You know, Steve, I blessed Steve LaBelle and, you know, and Alan Grumlet and all the people that I got an opportunity to work with back then in those days at Relativity. but um
1: yeah, it was it was
0: exciting it was an exciting time for me, even even working that project, man, to realize that I was working another Latino.
1: Right.
0: You understand? Now you got brothers like enough and so on and so forth. Now you got Latinos all around us that are very influential in this business, man. But back then there were very few of us and we literally had to had to climb our way to the top of the of the rung in order to be heard.
1: Right. I so don't go... At the end of the
0: day, I I had to go ten times harder than the average do because because I was Latino, right? You know what I'm saying? I had to kind of prove myself to this community that I was worthy of being part of this community.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to go too far, too far forward because we're gonna we're gonna hit a lot of those points. I want to I want to step back a little bit because I a lot of times people always go straight into kind of your industry stuff, but I want to get a sense of who who Manny actually is, and, and so that's why I'm going into you. That's why I'm going into your background a lot. Now, when I was doing yes, my sir. research. Yes, sir. Um, I saw that you attended uh, Roman Catholic High School, Mount St. Michael Academy. And for those who don't know, this is the same school that Puff Daddy attended, that Leon Robinson, who a lot of people may remember playing David Ruffin from The Temptations, and even the former GM of the Indianapolis Colts, Bill Polian, attended.
0: Uh, That being said... And then you got somebody else, another brother, man, don't forget his name, man. You better remember his name. And we're going to get him on your podcast one day, man, my man Chuck Bone okay. That was, that was Diddy's right-hand man. You got um Andre Roy, and he just cut a, a 25 million dollar deal with PepsiCo Um, you got you got Andre Arroyo, who's mm. um on uh on The Wire. I mean, I, he was from The Wire, but he's on um, Empire right now. Okay. Lucas's okay. lawyer. He plays Lucy's lawyer. We all went to high school together. Them all, my brother, including including Sean. Like I don't I don't know Puffy. I don't know P Diddy. I know Sean. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know okay. What I mean? We went to high school together. He was a year underneath me. We played football together. You know what I mean? We, That's my family. You yeah. know what I mean? No matter what, that's my I watched him when he left the football field go put on his bow tie and go work for Uptown every day. <laughs> go intern at Uptown, man. I always say, man, I should have put on my bow tie and followed his ass out.
2: So well, what, was, what was it like in in high school in this period of time? Because, I mean, Bill Polian aside, who's much older than you, a lot of these people mm-hmm. are in high school at the same time as you, specifically the person that I think most listeners would probably reference in Diddy. What is life like right. growing up around these people who would end up being these huge influencers in, in the industry? Did you have a sense of who you were around? Was it just the school itself and it already had some lineage and you're like, okay, everybody here is going to probably go on to be somebody? What, was was it that sort of thing, or were you guys just doing your thing?
0: It's it's like it's like it's like sitting at Howard University or sitting at Yale, mm-hmm. and you know that the dude that's sitting next to you one day is gonna be somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. You understand?
0: Know when you're when you're when you're at one of these high end schools, and I knew St. Mike at the time was that it was it was creating. You know, I was I was sitting next to, you know, funny enough, I was sitting next to Louis Badillo. He was a year underneath me, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting next to Louis Badillo, his father, the, the, uh, the senator for, for New York at the time. I remember Dio. Mm-hmm. Or congressman or something some, some of that caliber at the time. So I was already sitting next to a high power, influential son of high power players. Mm-hmm. You understand? In, 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 in whatever industry they was in. So when you go, when you're in that type of situation, especially as me, as, as one of the few Latinos that was actually at my Mike for at the time because it was primarily white. Mm-hmm. Um, white demographic, a lot of Italians, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And where I grew up in the Bronx, and Neck was primarily Italians, and their parents were all mobsters, and, you know, and I wasn't even going into who they was, but it <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. was
0: them people. You know what I mean? They were them people, and I was in school with them. So all these kids, and, and a lot of them were cor- parents were in corporate America, you know, CEOs of companies, CFOs of major corporations, Fortune 500 corporations. So you already knew there was greatness in the room. Mm-hmm. You understand that you didn't know and i was in the, in a the great place at a great time to understand that and know that 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 that's what it was like i'm sitting next to future greatness <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what i mean so you you start to understand that at some point and it starts to reflect back on you like man i can't be only the only cat in my in my graduating class that's not gonna wind up dope i mean i've been like i said i've I know a lot of my cats that graduated and, and did very, very well with their careers. One of them you just mentioned, Sean. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And have done very, very well. So I knew that that's what I was, I, I was privy to that company mm-hmm. and feeling that, that synergy that was around me to know, like, wow, I'm amongst greatness. So guess what? These guys are going to be my friends for years to come and we're going to be great together. Because, mm-hmm. and everybody that I just mentioned, including Puff, I still have a relationship with. hmm. I still have a friendship. When I see him, it's still good. We still the Mounties, man. I got another brother, our brother McLean, man. He went to Mount St. Michael. You don't even know him. Another great, great brother behind the scenes, man. Came from Universal Music, then Universal Music Publishing. He's now um, the vice president of Cobalt Music Publishing, which is one of the top publishing companies in the country, really in the world, because mm-hmm. they're, they're located around the world. These, This is the greatness that I grew up around. So guess what? At the end of the day, these are the friendships that I still have, that I developed throughout the years. This is still my outlet. This is still part of my network system. Mm-hmm. Is it- you know what I'm saying. So at that time, yeah, it was it was it was a great thing. You know what I mean? It was, it was, you, you, we didn't know where we were going. We just knew that we were destined for greatness. Right. Because it was in all our minds. Like, guess what? It can't nobody stop us now. Right. We <clears throat> we good. We got good people around us. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's talking the same thing. You know, when we could reconnected, it was great. When I wound up at Uptown Records, it was great. The opportunity was there because all my people was there. The dude I just mentioned that's on TV right now, <clears throat> well, we ain't going to go too far. But he said, we're going to go through that. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's keep it there, and then we'll get into the Uptown Record days. But just know that that's, that's what it was for me and as a Latino, and my parents were very hardworking. Everybody that was at my and Michael it wasn't cheap to be there. So you already knew. Whoever, whoever's kids were there who we came from families that were upper middle class families, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some were wealthy already families that were there. Mm-hmm. I'll say Michael was a very distinguished school. You know what I mean? I played football there for six years, went to the junior high school and the high school there. Mm-hmm. So I understood that we was amongst greatness. And I knew that at some point in my life, I knew that I was gonna do great things.
1: Right
2: before we move on, I gotta ask you about Diddy, because even a couple of times I've met him he's quite a character and quite a personality Um, you know, his background has been talked about for years, for years and years and years a portion of his background was talked about in movies about who his dad was and his dad's affiliation with with some folks in the streets back in the day and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. what kind of Mm -hmm. guy was he at, like you know, 15, 16, 17 year old young man, was he did you see kind of some of the personality traits that now exhibit themselves, you know, Hell now, no. or, or was it, was it completely no. different? Because Hell I don't no. think, because I mean, his dad died when he was, was, what, he was like, he, was, he was a kid me. when his one dad passed Puff, away, right?
0: Listen, one thing about Puff, Puff was always arrogant. Oh, okay. That's why him and I, in high school, got into a fight. Okay. You feel what I'm saying? Like, fight me, me and Puff actually fought. Mm-hmm. I won't say who won. <laughs> so we're going we're to keep that right. So just know that we, we got into a fight at the school in the courtyard of Mount St. Michael Academy because of his arrogance. He mm-hmm. was an arrogant dude. He's from Harlem. He was shaking differently. You feel what I'm saying? So he felt that his swag was different from ours. My swag was always crazy. Mm-hmm. My swag was always a thousand. what you see today was what I was 15 years ago. I mean, when I was 15 years old, 15 mm-hmm. years old. My swag was still different from everybody. I was still moving different. I was still dressing different. Than everybody. I was still flashing. So guess what? So it was problem. So when you got that dude that and you want you underneath me and you trying to take my shines and guess what? We got a problem now. You know we talking about the, the middle eighties. You think you fly, I think I'll fly. You got this crew, I got this crew. You got these people, I got these people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You doing this, I'm doing that. Your dad is this, my dad is that. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? So it was, it was, it was. It was one thing I have to say about my my say Michael man it was a great competitive atmosphere okay. without hating on each other but enough that nigga I'm gonna be better than you <laughs> you understand you're gonna be better than me all right we'll see we'll see who's gonna win at the end of the day and that was that was the atmosphere that was created around us you know not only as as kids but because our individual backgrounds, our individual family backgrounds, you know what I mean? Who was behind Puff? Who was behind me? Who was behind Andre? Who was behind, you know, Chuck and all that? Who the families and the support systems were behind that, you Mm -hmm. understand? So you have some powerful people. Like, even I get credit to to Sean's mom. Like I told you, it wasn't cheap to go to Monty & Michael. Mm -hmm. So guess what? You had to have some money. You had to be working. You had to have some credibility to get up in the school. It wasn't easy to even get up in there. You understand? So... It was, it was one of them type of situations that you had to be doing something great or come from greatness in order to be in there. So nobody looked at each other like, man, you ain't shit, nigga. Like, nigga, if I wasn't shit, I wouldn't be here.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> you understand? Right. And like I said, I played football for six years for the school. Mm-hmm. So I played all the other Catholic high schools in the process. So I was looking at everybody like, we, we the greatest. Right. You can't tell us nothing different. But, yeah, far as Puff, man, Puff always had that arrogance. He always had that swag. You know what I mean? In his mind, he was always going to be great. He mm-hmm. was already great at 16. You know what I mean? That's the reason he got his ass kicked off the team because he was a wide receiver thinking that he had played the game and never played the game. And he came out thinking that he was going to come out and show us something. And guess what? You couldn't show us nothing. We The team had already been playing for years. So guess what? We we chose to beat his ass on the field. <laughs> like, okay, we're going to beat that arrogance out of you. You know, and we we clicked up as a team. You know what I mean. So guess what? You come in there real fresh. You think you fly, dude. You tall, you slim, you fast. You know, you you swift on your feet. Guess what? We gonna break you down. Right. And he couldn't hang. Right. And that's when I tell you. That's when he took the internship. For uptown Records. That's when he started searching for an internship. And I always tell people, I should have left the field with that nigga. I should have been like, fuck y'all niggas, man. I'm out, I'm out with Sean, man. <laughs> We'll see y'all later, man. We're going to own a $100 million company in, in 10 years. Now, after, you know I mean? after your graduation... And, that, was... and that's what my boy, Chuck Bone, did. That's why to the day, Chuck Bone is still his partner, still does business, still is right here, mm-hmm. man. Him and Chuck went to to Howard University together. They threw all the parties together. Um, I was part of what we did. God bless the dead at NYU when all them kids died and all that shit and got crushed. Mm-hmm. We part of that, but... You know, they put it back on heavy D. It wasn't heavy D. The niggas that really put the party together were, were Chuck and 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 Sean. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then I was one of the organizers that helped him because I was, I was the right hand. I was, I was the little dude at the time, man, that could get things done. Right. Understand? Now so I watched all this. I, go ahead.
2: I was gonna say after after you graduate from there you go to another prestigious school in another highly influential part of history. You attend the University of Miami. Again, another hugely influential school at the time, and its profile is probably the highest that it's ever been. First of all, this is fucking amazing that you go from one highly influential school that has a high profile with a high concentration of people who end up being fucking amazing to another school that does the exact same thing in the exact same period of time. First of all, what made you leave New York to go to Miami? And what the fuck is it like in the late, the late 80s, early 90s, when the, the, the University of Miami is at its apex being a hurricane? Ooh, 87 to
0: 91, baby. <laughs> we had some, those are some good we years. Some of <laughs> yeah, those are good years. Those are interesting years. But I'm going to tell you something real about it, man. I unfortunately... Did not enjoy the college experience the way everybody else did, mm. and and it was by choice. Right, I was I went to school out there. Um, started out, I did my first year at, at a local school, a community college out there, Fort Lauderdale College, because I wanted to raise my GPA. Mm-hmm. So I went out to Fort Lauderdale College, got picked up in my second year to go to University of Miami. Mm-hmm. But within my first year, I had taken on a job at at um at uh. I think it was called Backstreet. Back Streets. Yeah, it was called Back Streets in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. I got kind of a job doing bookings at at a club there. Now, mind you, as we wind a little bit from '85 to '87, my uncle, you know, what I mean, at the LaGuillo um, was doing. he was an older gentleman, still, so, you know, he's he's up there. But at the time, he was doing bookings for. Um, he was doing all the bookings for Roseland in New York City. Mm-hmm. It's a very big club where New Edition first did. If you watch the New Edition file pick, you see that that's the first performance they did in New York City. Right. It was at Roseland. Mm-hmm. My uncle was doing those bookings. Mm-hmm. And then he was also doing Palladium at the time, which is no longer the on 14th Street Ooh. in New York City
1: mm-hmm.
0: at the Palladium. Now, I'm 16, 17 years old. What a lot of people don't know is that I got my first deal, and I'm taking you all the way back. And I don't let a lot of people know this, man. A lot of people don't know this. I had my first record deal at 15. Wow. Got signed to one of the biggest independent labels in New York City at the time, put out a record with with me and my crew, went and did a tour and all that, came back, realized that this is not really what I wanted to do. I realized that the people that were behind me were making more money than me. Mm -hmm. So that's what gave me my first insight into, wow, okay, I don't want to be an artist. Mm-hmm. I don't want to perform no more. Did, did big shows, opened up with Fatido Puente and all that, you know, one of the big Latin guys and all that, man. Mm-hmm. Did tours around the country, got a little paper. What I realized was I wanted to connect with the people that were behind the scenes and create my network of hmm So fast forward, when I got to Miami, the gentleman that offered me the position at the club Knew what I had been doing. I had been booking all these freestyle acts into these clubs in New York City because mm-hmm. I had relationships with them. I mm-hmm. was like, "Hey, I need you to do this because you have relationships with these cats from being on the road." So I knew where they lived. And at the time, it was like, you know, like Atlanta is now, man. You got you got a consortium of major artists that live in Atlanta, and they all know each other. Mm-hmm. So guess what? They all work with each other. At that time, when we was doing dance music, freestyle music, what it was called at the time. It was a consortium of artists that were from the Bronx that were all the top cats, whether it was TKA, whether it was it was Cynthia, whether it was Johnny O, and then you had a consortium that was starting in in Miami because Power Ninety Six was the largest station at the time. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of it, and God bless my brother Felix Sama, who's still very, very relevant in the Miami market, but he was the top, the top DJ at the time and he was my friend. Mm. And I had met him from doing the club. When I got into into back and doing that club, I met him, and we connected well. And he introduced me to another gentleman by the name of Louis Martinique. Mm-hmm. So that being said, that was Pantera Productions. So that being said, I did the club for a few months, and then Louis said, "Yo, I got this group that just signed to Avista Records called Exposes. Three girls. Boom, boom, boom. They got this record called In No Return." I was like, "Yeah, I know the record." He was like, "Yo, would you like to low manage?" And I'm going to school. You know, three days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I'm off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I said, well, yeah, I, but I can't i can't go on the road Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. He's like, "Ah, right, we'll work it out. You know what I mean? I just want you to go on the road, get the experience. Man. I think you'd be real good. You got good relations with these people. You know what I mean? You know how to maneuver them and so on and so forth. I did that for two years.
1: Mm-hmm. I was
0: school Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, there'd be a car waiting for me outside ready to take me to the airport because <laughs> I'd be on my way to L.A., I'd be on my way to New York, I'd be on my way to Chicago, wherever we had a booking at the time. And I'd be on the road from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then Monday morning, I'd be back in class. And it was funny to me to sit there next to my, my, my fellow students and be like, hey, what you did this weekend? And they'd be like, Oh man, you know, I was chilling this weekend. I went to the beach, and we had a barbecue, you know, and had a family out and all that. And they'd be like, what you do, manny? I was like, well, you know, I was I was in uh, Houston, and then went from Houston to LA, and we did a show out in LA, and then LA we flew back to Jersey and did a show out in Jersey, and then from Jersey went to Chicago, and in Chicago we had another show, and now I'm back here with y'all, (laughs) y'all, you know what I'm saying? And it just felt different to me to be 18 years old and going through that, and yet I'm the only kid driving to school with a brand new Cadillac Eldorado. You know, that's that was my experience at school. You Mm. understand? That's why I said I never really got the full college experience. I didn't get to join the sorority. Um, I didn't get to go to the games on the weekends and all that and enjoy the games and all that and be part of that whole college experience. But my experience was different. I was building a career. I was building a life. I was coming back to class on Monday, and I was making more money on the weekend than the teacher was making all month. (laughs) <laughs> so, so I am sitting in and, you know, in business one on one, you know, in these classes, I'm going, Yeah, okay, what you gonna teach me, man? I'm eighteen years old and I'm I'm making five thousand dollars a week, man. What you making? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just made five grand this weekend, what did you make? And that's, exactly, you know what I mean? that's exactly how I felt when so, I was what so I was it, doing. It man. was kinda of, it was kinda of foolish, you know what I mean? It was it was funny to me, man, but I did the time, I did the school. I graduated my degree in accounting in 91, and I tell people, and I try to go back to corporate America. After I did that, I left the music alone for a high second, said, okay, I got my degree now. Let me go back to New York. Went to work for Ernest & Young. It was still Ernest & Winnie at the time. I helped them in terms of uh, the merger and the transition that they made from being Ernest and, & and Young. i & Winnie to become an Ernest & Young, and mm-hmm. they did the merger. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the top accounting firms in the world. I was a tax auditor. Oh, you yeah, know what I mean? Sat there. Literally at the time, I was two blocks up from Quad Studios. And right next door to Quad was Uptown Records. Mm-hmm. So what I used to do was at the end of my day, because I still had a passion for the music. It was always part of me. Right. But at the end of the day, what I would do when I finished work at the end of the day, i go down to see my homeboy. I want to go see Chuck. I want to go see Andre. I want to go see Puff. You know what I mean? I want to go see all my people that were there at the time. You know what I mean? My man, my man, Victor. Um, um, Dan Dan Small, all the people that were working there at the time were friends of mine. Mm-hmm. You understand? True story. Super Mario, you know, what I mean, another good friend of mine, man, that helped invent. This is a dude that helped create. Between us, we help we help create um, um, guerrilla marketing. But that's a whole other conversation. I know you gonna get there. But, that, but I'm, I'm but there Dan, right Dan, now. I'm there nah, right no. now. We still we still we still in Florida, man. Oh. We still in Florida. So that was my time in Florida. That gave me a great opportunity. There was um, another venue there at the Florida time called Metro Zoo. You Mm know what I mean? At Metro Zoo, we did a lot of booking there. We did a lot of stuff with Power 96. So that opened up. At that time, it was a great experience because I was still doing what I tell people. I was still doing the Latin thing.
1: Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
0: I was still in my community. I was still fucking with my people. I I wasn't into that whole urban stuff yet. I still wasn't into the hip-hop thing yet. But yet it was all around me. Right. So like I tell people, it was something that was swelling and building around me that I wasn't looking at yet, but yet I was part of that because I knew a lot of the players in it. You feel what I'm saying? They all came from my hood. And I used to hang out in the hood, you know, we used to do graffiti and all that. So guess what? A lot of those cats were my friends. The same way I knew Joe. Like me, and Joe, we used to tag up, you know, on the trains and all that mm-hmm. back in New York City. So a lot of these cats I knew just from my day to day runs. Right. You know what I mean Peter, like when I talk about Peter Guns, man, I tell people Peter Guns, to Tariq, man, long before Uptown Baby and all that, man, they were the gun runners. Now I'm talking about '87, '88, '89, man. We was all on a on a block called Whole Ass, which is off of Trinity, which is where Joe was from, in the Bronx.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it was it was it was a cohesive situation, man. And me leaving to Miami was because I just wanted to leave. I wanted to leave what I had known for years behind for a little bit. Miami was, was becoming the, slowly becoming the hot spot. Everybody wanted to be there. So I knew that this is where I needed to be. You know what I mean? I could have gone to LIU and been, and been in, 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 you know, Hampton, in the Hamptons and Long Island, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, in New York City, and never got to experience nothing outside of my life.
1: You know yeah. understand? Yeah. It
0: allowed me the opportunity to break away from what I had done, what I was a part of, and experience something else. And then all these other great opportunities, you know played into that and i tell people I, I really you know outside of what i did in terms of booking in new york city that was, miami was really my start because when i did that that run that role manager run it taught me so much in those two years man mm-hmm. you know what i mean not only the relationships that i built and the network alliances that i built but understanding understanding the business understanding the balance between the players you know what i mean and the divisions and and the connection between the management. And the marketing company, and the A and R, and the label itself, and you know what I mean? How all the dynamics played into one another. Because no matter how you look at it, whatever genre of music you you work in, the dynamics are pretty much the same. Right. You feel what I'm saying? No. They don't. Seen... They don't change. But go ahead, man. That's that's where we at in terms of in terms of Florida, man. And then me coming back from Florida, man, and then starting to become part of a legacy, which is Uptown Records. So we can go from there. Okay. So,
2: 1991, you know, you graduated from college. And as we move into somewhere between 92 and right around 94 is where things kind of pick up. People say that, like, late 91 up to the middle of 94 is kind of like a lull a lull in hip-hop, if you will. It's kind of that, that spot where you're waiting on the next the next great acts to really, like, move to the next level. It, Biggie's profile really begins to blow in 94 but uptown is building right there in this period of time before we go there Mm -hmm. for people define what guerrilla street marketing is and then let's start covering that ground of, of you deciding you know what i don't want to do this accounting shit no more and and your your impact on uptown and just kind of really making an impact on some major players
0: Well, look man at the end of the day um i got an opportunity to to work at uptown so because all my boys were there mm-hmm. and they was all doing this what they call street marketing mm-hmm. and it wasn't even considered that man we were just it wasn't even considered nothing it was just like hey wasn't guerrilla street marketing it wasn't street marketing it was us doing promotion that's what we thought oh we're promoting
1: Right
0: now at the time you, you're talking about during that during that time man this is a time that you had Heavy D and the Boys you had Joe C, you had uh, Mary J Blige um, we had all these acts that were starting to come up you know what I mean? That uptown was, was developing and, and building at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, they were becoming a powerhouse, man. And they had an incredible team unlike anybody else. Like, even Def Jam didn't have that te- that team at the time. No. You know what I'm saying? That that Andre Harrell had at that dynamic at that time, man. You told my man Bob Celeste, man, who's the general counsel. That's still my attorney. You know, 20-plus years later, still my attorney, my friend, my confidant. And he just he did um he just did designers deal. You feel know what I'm saying? Like cool. he's still out here doing deals and things of that nature all these years later. But if you look at the original albums that came out of out of Uptown, he was he was, you know, the co exec, executive producer on all the albums. Mm-hmm. That he was negotiating all the deals and so on and so forth. But um, let's get back to you know, Guerrilla Street Marketing. Gorilla Street Marketing was my man Buddha. Um, Buddha was a big dude from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Uh, my man, my man um, Super Mario, you feel what I'm saying, who, who pretty much put the team together. Chuck Bone, um, Andre Arroyo, who I was just telling you about. My man Vic, um, who also went to high school with us, and so on and so forth. So it was for, for a lot of the cats, it was just cats that we had from around the block mm-hmm. that we knew, and we put them on. And what happened was when I would I would leave my office at five six o'clock. And I go down the block and find out what was going on for the night, what parties, boom, boom, boom. Right. And at the time, we didn't have the marketing tools that we have now. You feel what I'm saying? And, and we didn't engage the same way. So what we used to do, and ultimately, when I wanted to believe in Ernest & Young, was to sit there all day and make photocopies. So I would sit there all day and make photocopies on on high-density high, high density color papers, which was like fuchsia, light blue, pink, um, a bright orange, you know, neon colors. You know what I mean, and things of that nature. Things that were impactful to the eye And really? I would sit there and run copies all day. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is everybody would grab a stack with them. At the end of the day, it'd be 10, 12 of us, and we all grab a stack every day. And we go out to these clubs at night and just go lace up the clubs. And when I say lace up, means you will make sure that inside the club there were flyers and, and promotional items whatever the promotional materials were on that particular day and you made sure that the streets were flooded which meant that you literally were walking as you were walking out the club to go to your car to your vehicle get in the cab or go to the train or whatever you was doing or walking home there was nothing but a golden road leading you to, to your destiny of flyers and promotional promoting what we was doing the music I, gotta, the I gotta
2: stop you so right forth. there for a second and thank you yeah. And thank you because that tactic you taught me in Tunica, Mississippi, in two thousand five. Yeah, brother. But but yeah, go yeah, continue. But thank you because a, nah, I love a lot of people, a I lot of people from that. Jacksonville who know New Blood Entertainment oh. will go. That's, I remember them doing that shit at the Rock Center. That's where I learned it from guys. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so thank you for that. And, you
0: know, and we and we blessed to to you know, I've met a lot of cats throughout throughout my years, man, that I've ran into just like you that have been like, Man, you know, I do this because of you or I'm here because of you or I got you know, like even brothers like Kingpin and all of that, man, that are great at what they do, man, or showbiz. you know, my brother at Atlanta who's great at what he does. Like all these people are great at what they do because we created the platform and the template for you to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't sit there and glorify myself and be like, yeah, nigga, this, this is all me. And this happened because no, it was, it was something that we were doing. It was a unified effort. And I ain't gonna lie to you when, when, when it finally got coined as guerrilla street marketing was because of Steve Rifkin and mm-hmm. John Rifkin mm-hmm. over at SRC, you know, they were loud records at the time and had a side company called SRC where they used to do the marketing. And they 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 gave it the term guerrilla street marketing. They coined it that. I give them that all day. We did it. We created it. But they coined it. Mm-hmm. So then this way they were able to now sell it, right. package it and sell it. You know what I mean? Because they seen the impact that it would have. They seen the turnover. They seen the the, the, the numbers that it generated. Whether we whether it was record sales, whether it was product sales, whatever we were doing, guerrilla street marketing for us was about getting out there and creating an impact. It's what, it's what I what I coined today, brand cultivation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You feel what I'm saying? We were cultivating brands, whether it was Uptown Records, whether it was the artists that were underneath them, or was the product when we went to Steve Riskin and he started doing Starter, and all these these corporate companies now wanted to align themselves with us because they knew that we was the way to get the word to the masses quick. It was almost like the internet. Before mm-hmm. the internet, you feel right. what I'm saying, how do you, how do you, how can you create a a, 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 a real time impact on somebody, hand to hand marketing? Mm-hmm. You know Because you get a you get a direct reaction right there. You might get somebody that gets a fly and automatically goes right to the website. You know what, mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But at the time, like I said, we didn't have the phones. We didn't have all them all the tools that you have now mm-hmm. to be able to do all that. You feel what I'm saying?
1: Right.
0: So all we were doing was creating an impact we had to create an an impact some way somehow for the streets to understand and being that we didn't have multiple stations the way we do now especially across the country to distribute the music or let people hear the music we had to bring the music to the streets and the masses through some through some vehicle. so we created this vehicle which was mass promotion you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and nobody had been doing to that point nobody had been doing that and I've been doing it at the level that we did it at where we were flooding the street literally flooding the street every night you Understand? Mm-hmm. So when I so when I left Ernest and Young, just so you know real quick, my mother thought I was crazy. I left her. I was 90, 1991, man. I'm I'm making I'm 21 years old, making seventy five thousand dollars a year plus bumps. You know what I mean? Perks, full full medical and dental and all that to go make seventy five dollars a week working for a records Because that's mm-hmm. what street team guys were making at the time. You was making seventy five dollars a week, right? You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. That's... And that's what there was. So my mom thought I was crazy. And I thought, I said, you ain't never raised no crazy kids, man. You ain't raised no crazy kids yet. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So let me go do this. I Fortunately for me, when I came back from college, I was living with my parents. Mm-hmm. So I had stacked a lot of that money.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I had somewhere along the lines of probably 50K sitting in, the, in an account. Right. You
1: know what I
0: mean? At 21 years old, like, I'm straight. I right. can go work a job for $75 a week. You know right. Until I can figure out how this is gonna make us more money
1: right but all
0: i knew that i was sitting there and i was watching the excitement and every time i would go there i was getting excited every time i would go to uptown records i was getting excited mm-hmm. you know and i'm saying there was an excitement there was an the energy in the air There was there was an excitement in the air man like we're doing something new we're creating something new we're going to change the fucking world you know what i mean we're going to change the music business you know this was everybody's mentality who was involved at the time it right. wasn't one person that wasn't involved, and nobody was even thinking about money. We <clears throat> were thinking about how we gonna change the world, and then get money. You mm-hmm. see, like nowadays, these these cats, man, they, they want to get into it just because of the money. It's it's like the kid that starts playing basketball at sixteen because, or, or you know, fourteen, and the only thing on his mind is, okay, I'm gonna get this this you know this ten million dollar contract at the end of this road. Right. That's cool, but are you really passionate about what you're doing? -hmm. The passion will get you there, man. I try to tell these cats, man, listen, be great at something first and then worry about the money. Once people recognize that you're great at it, they're going to come with a a bag load of money for
2: you. 100%. 100%. But be great at it.
0: But be great at it first. So we have to prove the model and be great at it and show the world, like, watch, man, this is what we can do. This is how we generate noise. We don't need corporate America. We don't need radio to play our records. You understand? We don't need none of y'all. We just, we need our community talking about it. If we got our community talking about it and guess what? We're so powerful that our community really generates this noise
1: right.
0: to transcend it. And that's what we've done for the last 40 years and me personally for the last 30 years.
2: Right. You
0: understand? We've made noise, we've created impact, we've cultivated brands and situations that nobody ever thought could ever happen. Right. We didn't think it could happen. Right. You know what I mean? Things are just growing and they're, and they're naturally growing. Throughout throughout the year but yeah, that's I mean that was really important, and it's um, still understanding that in itself. Guerrilla street marketing created jobs and opportunities for hundreds and hundreds, but I didn't even say hundreds, thousands of people. Right. Throughout the years, and I you think, know what I mean. And now you're going to the tens of thousands of people that have had a job and today still have a job doing what I created almost 30 years ago.
2: Right. And it's funny that you say all of that because I I, I think that a lot of times. And it's important that people like you educate us on what Guerrilla Street Marketing actually is, because I think that as the years have gone on, in which obviously we'll talk about kind of like the transition of branding and marketing and promotions and all of those kind of things later on. But I think that, you know, just to kind of piggyback on this one part of it, I think that a lot of young people don't fully understand the complexity of of Guerrilla Street Marketing. They just think it's as simple as, dropping a bunch of flies on the ground and walking away or inundating the front oh, of somebody's windshield with, with, Go with want, cars. Go where you want, we got to get into that. You know, like, they think that that's what it is, and it's, I think it's a bit more involved in that. It's, it, what you guys were doing was engagement, and then kind of, like, the hand-to-hand component was a part of that, but even in the hand-to-hand piece, there was eye contact, there was a conversation, even if it was 15 to 20 yep. seconds, there was, there was legitimate engagement, whereas now, or at least what i'll say is from from your period i guess from my period till about i'd say where where digital marketing completely takes over which we will talk about that it it seemed like there was a period of time where it was just like throw a million flyers on the floor put 50 flyers on somebody's car while they're drunk and they won't see it until the next morning and it's dried onto their windshield and that is marketing <laughs> like, I did I did well, quotation marks the for
0: the illustration. Understand, there's, there's a strategic way of doing it. Right. And, and, and this is what I tell people all the time. Whether, whether you're a club promoter and you're the dude that's giving out flyers for the club, you feel what I'm saying? Or you're a label promoter and your job is to make sure, you know, people know about JG's album or Kanye's album or, you know, whoever, my fat Joe's album or whoever it might be. And it's your job to do that, man. And I tell people all the time. The problem with these kids nowadays that i see and i've had street teams you know for years i mean going back you know to the middle 90s i've had three teams around the country oh no you, I, know, you put I, me I, through I it too it. you
2: you had to teach me the hard way because i yes. was a knucklehead too go, but yeah go ahead
0: you already know man but even even before you brother and and even after you you know what i mean as i watch these kids man and you got to put them through the grind and and you know Everybody can't be taught because, obviously, you got to have the passion. I tell people what I, what I can do is teach you the skills, but I can't give you is the passion.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know what I mean? But what these cats were forgotten is that there needs to be, and you said it best, man, there needs to be some sort of interaction. You know what I mean? Um, at, at some point or another, man, you can't just be the dude standing in the corner. Hey, you want this? 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 It doesn't work, man, because understand, you're not spreading the word. You understand? Mm-hmm. You're not passing on the information properly. You're not getting the person that you're giving it to excited about taking it from you. It's gotten to the point, you know, like over the last few years, cats don't want to take CDs or nothing like that. You know I mean? the things of that nature, they don't want to take the marketing to because they're not being post properly. These cats, these kids nowadays, man, you, you got to be at an event and there'll be 10 cats that come to you with products in their hands. Mm-hmm. Understand? And you don't know who this one is. You don't know who that one is. You don't know that one is. You know that one is. So you take that one. So you take that one. But guess what? These kids what they're not doing is they're not putting an emphasis behind what they're marketing. You mm-hmm. Understand? Like, see, it, it, it's even you know. And we can, we can go there later. But it's the same way with with being a brand ambassador. I keep telling people you can't just be the dude rocking clothes. You mm-hmm. got to bring this stuff to life. So let me tell you something, man. Thirty years later. I can go out there and be everybody in terms of giving out fly because I stand out in the corner all day and make it a conversation where people are going to walk by and be like, yo, that's the dude that's promoting that, that that club club vibe down the block, man. That's the dude right there. They're going to know who I am. They're going to know who they got it from. They're going to know that they took a conversation with me. I'm not giving it to you if there's no conversation. I don't go, hey, here, come tonight. Hey, come tonight. Hey, come tonight. I don't do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I say, hey, how you doing, man? Yo, y'all been to club vibe, man? Yo, y'all need to check this out tonight, man. This is what's going on. Have a conversation. That's what guerrilla marketing is about. You understand? That's what it really comes... It's about that hand-to-hand combat. Mm -hmm. You understand? That's what we used to call it, hand-to-hand marketing. Because understand, your job is is to be the conveyor of what's on the flyer before somebody tastes it, looks at it, and throws it on the floor. Right. You understand? It's 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 your job to make somebody want to put it in their pocket and keep it so that they can remember this event they can remember this music. They can remember this product that you're pushing. Whatever it is that you are pushing at that point in the time, you need to make a part of your conversation, however you get it to them. Right. You feel what I'm saying? It's so it's so you know, funny was, that you was, say it all this. I was, was this. one of the first brothers to start a female street team. Right. Wifey Materials, man. And I started it in Miami mm-hmm. because my ideology at the time was okay, we got a lot of dudes out here doing this stuff. And guess what? Women won't always take stuff from men. Right. You know, because guess what? Because we're men, we're slick. We're always trying to find a, a reason to holler at a young lady. hmm And this becomes part of, you know, when I was young, it was part of my reason for doing it. Right. Like, oh, yeah, I got, got, I'm got, i going to talk to all of the young ladies, man. Yeah, I'm the man, bro. Let me holler at this. I'm little over here. But guess what? Then they start to pull off. So guess what? The work wasn't done if you're coming aggressively because you're trying to holler at them like you want to date them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or you want to rock with them? You want to get with them? Instead of instead of getting them into the club or getting them to to adhere to what you're talking about, you're coming at them from different angles. Mm-hmm. You understand? So I seen that aspect of it. Then I said, then I seen. I would have a couple of girls on my team that would be mixed with a couple of guys. But then I seen the girls were giving out more product than the guys because the girls were accepting from it from girls. Another female kid, hey, baby girl, oh, yeah, yeah, what's up, girl? Yeah, and take a fly, take a take a CD, take a, 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 a cassette as we had back in the days and all that,
1: mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying?
0: They would take that. And, and obviously the guys were having it. If I had, but the pretty girls doing it, then the guys would be like, oh, yeah, what's up, mama? Yeah, if I hey, hey, take that, man. Da, da, da. And they could play their little game, you
1: mm-hmm. know what
0: I'm saying? Right. So it, it worked good for both sides, man, and I did that because I understood it, but every street team I ever had, everybody that's ever been on my street team, and I got cats from around the country, just like you been, that have been on my team, that work with me, that run with me, from city to city, state to state, and have run through events and concert tours and things of that nature, man, with me, know that I'm hard when I teach my cats, because guess what, I, I expect the best out of everyone, man. I don't expect you to be this. I have to tell this story.
2: I have to tell this story, and it is fucking hilarious. The the other You're key component...
0: man. You back to
2: No, no, no. Man. I'm going to get the Bungie. I'm going to get the Bungie. We're, we're going to talk about Bungie, but what I want to tell everybody before we move on to the next thing is this one key component. The other thing about street teamwork is you have to look the part. You cannot... A lot of folks think that they can just roll out of bed looking dusty as hell or ridiculous as fuck and then just try to go pass out some shit to people. You have to have the sort of appearance that people that people will want to engage with. I will never forget the story. I don't know what city we were in, but I got out of the I got out of the hotel and I'm walking to the front. Like it's like late in the evening. We finna go pass out flyers. It was something probably for shout-out. But I opened the door to the van and I got this big ass shout-out shirt on. And you looked at me and you looked up and down and you go, Go back in the fucking hotel And go put on another shirt Put on a medium or something You look fucking ridiculous You are too small To be wearing that shirt that big (laughs) And you you close the door I believe it it. That That sounds like me but but I, I say that like obviously my feelings was probably hurt on like I, I obviously was gonna be on some gangster man fuck this nigga like you know but you know like now I can tell you my feelings was probably hurt but it was probably a necessity because it taught me something that I didn't realize then that what you look like and how you present yourself even in the midst of doing what people call just street team work plays a huge role in how people receive what you're trying to present to them. So all day, every day, brother. Oh, so thank you for that, and for those who who maybe are still out here doing this. You know that that's a little tidbit of information. Now, obviously, you, I've,
0: I've had the real quick, man. I've had I've had cats that have come back to me years later, man, and told me, man, you was hard on me, but guess what? Now I'm working at so and so. Now I'm working at so and so. Now I'm working at so and so, and they thanked me for it because guess what? Because when they went to get that job at so and so and said they worked for me. The people that they want to work for, nine out of ten times, were my friends too. Mm-hmm. So they know the integrity that I have for this business. Mm-hmm. You understand? Know and the integrity in me that built in me, and that I build in the people that work for me. Right. You understand? Know right. So you got hired because of that. They knew that if you came from my camp and my team, that you knew what the fuck to do and how to do it, mm-hmm. and how to get it done. And that's what a lot of cats don't provide, man. They don't provide that knowledge. They don't provide that experience. They just wanna utilize you. And and these cats today, like I said, they're not committed. They're not loyal. You know what I mean? They quickly they quickly wanna to move to the next level. Like, oh no, I'm too big for this to be given out fly. I know you're not, bro. I'll go out today. If that's part of the job I need to do today to get the job done. Today, today mm-hmm. I will go out there and do it. You understand? Right. Because I gotta make sure that my client is happy, man. And these, these cats nowadays feel that they're above that, man. Mm-hmm. And it's above them. And then when they are doing it, they got to talk bigger. You know, like, oh, no, this is my party, man. Why can't you just be a motor for another? Why do you got to you be your event? Where's your name on this? Your name not even on this. Which company you own that's on here? None of them, right? <laughs> but this is your event.
1: 100%. This is your event
0: because they, that's what they got to tell their people. That's what they got to tell their people in the block. That's what they got to tell their shorties that they're hiding there. And this, bro, don't there's no shame of being a worker, man. You mm. know what I mean? No no shame whatsoever, man. Do the job, do the job well, do the job great. Guess what? I've watched everyone that started out at that level move on to other things in their life, including myself.
2: And you and understand? it's all about getting the check at the end of the day. Who cares who did it? As long as you get a check.
0: Yeah, man. You get you a get check, but do the job properly, man. Now, if you ain't getting paid, you're a about. sucker. Do, that's a whole the other conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah taking take pride in what you do. I've always taken pride in what I do. Let me tell you, man, poster boards, man, which is... We still talk about girl street market. Let's go to there, man. Snipes and all that. I did all of that, okay. brother. I'm talking about I did all of that, putting up snipes throughout New York City and all that. Going from city to city, putting up poster boards, a poll. Me and my partner, Wild Man, Teddy T, man, we used to have competitions or who can get down the block faster, you feel what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and have fun with it, man, and I taught cats how to put posters up to the top of a pole, man, but you got these cats lazy today, they want to put one and move to the next one, one and put them to the next one, one, put them, a... no, man, I'm putting four or five, they're going all the way up to the but top br- of pole, front, what did you say,
2: front, back, staple them together, push that shit up, and then put two more, push that shit up, <laughs> yeah, you know, bro, I thought you well, brother. <laughs>
0: I told, you, well, brother, I told sure. you how to do it, and I told you how to do it flag style, man, so it waves <laughs> like a flag. You understand? There was I was the one that invented that. There weren't too many cats doing that at the time because everybody was. Was was doing the staples around, mm-hmm. and I was just doing it from one, and I was pulling it tight, and then stapling in the end and making a wave like a flag. Mm-hmm. And they, every time somebody saw that, it was like, oh, that was Mad Dog did that. That's, <laughs> his, that's his look right there. And if it wasn't me, it became one of my, my you know, somebody on my team. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, that's Mad Dog's team putting those poses up because look, they all swing in the same way, <laughs> and that's the way we swung them. But these guys are lazy, man. They're lazy. They wanna, they wanna, they wanna bypass the work and get to the rewards. And it don't work like that. Right. Understand? I've had to work hard for a lot of years, man, to reap the benefits and the rewards of what of of what I've done, what that I I put. I, it could be something I did this year, and I won't be rewarded for it till next year.
1: Right.
0: You understand? Hundred percent. So you gotta be you gotta be patient about them rewards and them accolades, man. If you do the job good and you do the job right, man. First of all, like you said, get a check, get you your check, do it right, make your client happy, man. That's what I've always been about. Making my clients happy, wherever I was at, whatever labor I was working at, whatever independent client I was working, whatever product I was working at the line, it was always important to me that I represented my client well. Mm-hmm. Because understand, I take every client that I've had on my back. You know what I mean? I take them real personal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? It don't it don't matter whether you corporate or not, independent or not, how much money you're spending or not. If I accepted the check, I'm gonna do the job and I'm gonna do it well. Right. And that's where these cats have these cats gotten lost today, man, because they're so quick to want to get the money. Oh, yo, send, send me, send me $1,000, man. The minute they get $1,000. Now you can't get over on the phone for two, three days because he's badging out on the 1000 You know what I mean? Because he ain't never had nobody him a whole $1,000 in one shot, man, for him to work. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. They used to gain $150, $200, $150, 200 Now you can them a thousand, you, can't, you can't get them on the phone, man, because they don't take no pride in what they're doing. Right, you understand? They're so hungry and thirsty to get to the money that that they they bypass even the glory. Right, like, bro, you don't you don't enjoy the benefits of what you do. I enjoyed seeing people. Yeah, I used to stand. I mean, we used to flood the streets, man. And going back to Justin, man, and flood the streets, and I was probably the only dude that would stay there afterwards to watch people's reaction and see what they did. Because mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to see how impacted what we were doing was was actually being. You know what I mean? How reactive. Was it were, were people walking, looking at the flies, were looking into the ground, looking at shit? Yeah, they were doing that. Were people go walking down the block, picking up flies, going, oh, shit, I didn't see that. Okay, let me put this in my pocket, put it in their pocket, save it for later so they could look at it. Yeah, people were doing that. So I knew there was a the, direct correlation to what we doing. If so I go in the club and I put 100 CDs on the, on the bars and on the tables, were they all gone? Yeah. The so people took them and, and, and rolled back in their rides and played them in their rides, played them at home and all that. So guess what? There was a direct correlation to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And seeing the direct impact. A lot of cats don't do that nowadays. They don't take that time to enjoy the fruits of their labor. You know what I mean? If you did it, my dude, enjoy it. Look at it. Watch people's reaction, man. This is your job, man. Make sure that your job meant something, What you did, and you did it right. Right. You understand? Take that pride in what you're doing, my dude, and stop worrying about the money, man. The money comes. 100%
2: 100% I, I had to learn that I had to learn that The hard way too Because
0: Even, even like in that, the man. midst
2: of Even in the midst of Everything that I learned From you I still was one of those dudes Like the first time That Club Paris Gave me a check For 6-7 grand For a week worth Of promotion work Which is absurd And I've mm-hmm. talked about it Multiple times on the podcast About how absurd that was You yeah. know Right. But when they handed me a check like that, I mean like I, w- I mean I was an undergrad. I went MIA for like two weeks. Like <laughs> I was, I called my I called my uh my partners that ran with me and I was like, Yo, y'all go do such and such, I'm finna be in Orlando with this chick
0: like and I there you go. You see what happens? <laughs> when you're, supposed to be, you're supposed to get work. You harder. Not, you're supposed to work harder when you get that check, not, not lighter. Hey,
2: man, uh, but I, I, I have some memories. You know, it's, it's I have it's some memories. Guys, like
0: that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and, and and it's funny because it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of guys like that today, man. They never got a check like that.
1: When
0: mm-hmm. their first check, they take it and they dip off. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was young. I went... I went through them scenarios, you know, when I got my first five-figure check, you know what I mean? My first six-figure check, like, oh, nigga, I'm, I'm out of here, bro. I'll see you out next week. <laughs> but what about the work? Ah, shit, I don't know, man. We'll figure out when I get back. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you... But understand, when you do things like that, sometimes you saw a relationship. I saw relationships, too, throughout the years because of that. Because mm-hmm. my, my ego sometimes got to me, my arrogance, you know what I mean like oh, dude man you gotta wait till next week man but I just cut you a check you know for twenty five thousand today mm-hmm. that's cool nigga it's cool I told mm-hmm. y'all you start your shit next week <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm mean? saying what's the argument <laughs> and I and I and I go argue because the check already cleared so mm-hmm. now you you definitely fucked up nigga don't talk to me no type of way nigga because you you you'll spend the next two weeks trying to get me on the phone <laughs>
2: let's go ahead and move let's go ahead and move <laughs> on because. I want to talk talk to me about what you're doing that eventually leads to 2001, where you start Collective Consultants, because that's that's the next major marker that you have, obviously, in your of resume course. that a lot of people that a, a lot of people focus their eyes at. So you're doing all the stuff with Uptown that obviously doesn't well, last was, forever. Was, but, was, listen, but how I, do you I get there? I
0: worked for every major label in New York City, man. Okay. Okay. Not a label Okay. Which is what for. I figured you're because I didn't see it. a whole
2: lot. From a resume standpoint, I didn't see, like, oh, this label, this label. I figured, I was like, he's probably going through different labels, doing marketing campaigns for yeah, all it was, of the it labels. Was, it
0: was pretty much what everybody was doing at the time, man. I went from uptown. I got a great opportunity to work at Henchman. You know what I mean? Uh, Henchman was the, the hot management company. They would be, before, before Violator became hot, it was mm-hmm. about Henchman at the time. Right. You feel what I'm saying? You talking about with Jimmy um, Henchman or? With Jimmy Henchman and Mario Henchman, who were my bosses at the time. Okay. You know what I mean? And everything that. What we were doing in terms of the How Can I Be Down, we were doing all the marketing for How Can I Be Down, which is a very big conference that
2: Peter Thomas used
0: to put together every year. And we was his partners in that. Um, to, to The producer that we had was our first producer that we signed to our company um, was Mark Sparks, Mark Sparks, a very big producer today. But the first record we did a placement on for him was, if you remember, I saw some sort of type of shoe. So that was the first record that we did in terms of uh placement. Mm-hmm. And then we signed uh we signed uh we signed uh, um, um, roof theory, which became a two year run for me. Tell me tell me if you want me to right I remember that well. yeah, Brights and the Metal Roofs man. I was their role manager for two years and funny enough you were talking about Wendy Day earlier, when that's how me and Wendy Day connected at henchman, when he oh, was okay. Jimmy's assistant. Jimmy and my real assistant
1: okay. and
0: um, you know what I mean and we used to trade off and you know like that. that's my to this day that's my family you know what I mean like when, Wendy was my right hand for a lot of years you know what I mean if I didn't know something I didn't you know what I mean Wendy was a very very intelligent woman that understood the logistics of the business better than I did because I was in the middle of the storm right. I was in the eye of the storm you know what I mean at the time and I'm on the road and I'm in the streets and I'm <laughs> in clubs you know, two, three clubs every night, you know, she she's sitting behind a desk every night with Jimmy and Mario um, uh, mapping everything out. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So she came, she came from the business side. So I had that opportunity. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Island Records came into working with Island Black. The first project I worked there was um, Drew Hill, Sleeping in My Bed, okay. Remix. That was one of the first records I worked there. Um, Warner Brothers, one of the first records I worked there was Eric Benet's record, Georgie, Poor G, Swiss and
1: Five,
0: the Yeah, did Dad, uh, the bass soundtrack. I mean, the list goes on and on, man. One of my monumental moments was, um, and since we, we're going up the, up the line, I worked for Tommy Boy for many years, signed a couple of artists over to Tommy Boy and Tommy Boy Black Label. Uh, Tommy Boy Black Label, I helped run it along with uh, Chris Atlas and Tyrone Clark. Okay. Who was you know, if you know Chris Atlas, he just went over to Warner Brothers in LA as the executive vice president of marketing.
1: Right.
0: Um, he was the senior vice president of marketing over at Death Jam for the last I believe the last seven years, something like that. My brother going back to Jack the Rapid days. But um went over to Tommy Boy and was that at that point, Tommy Boy was and anybody that was a deaf jam, Rob Love, Mike Kaiser and all of them would tell you that it was the hottest that Tommy Boy ever was because we was killing the streets. I had my whole team out there. We were snapping it every freaking day. You feel what I'm, saying? I'm talking about? Every day we was out there doing our thing, worked multiple projects for them, um, went over to Relativity Records. Same thing. I was always freelancing, had my own company. Well, not so much my own company because the collective came later down the line, but I had my own movement going on. Everybody knew that I had my own team. I, you know, I was moving around. I was taking out a lot of projects at the time. I was starting to get into um, adding records to radio, which I met Henderson. God bless him, man. That's my brother, um, one of the original Zulu members. I'm uh, still manages Africa Band Body to this day. But he taught me a lot of how to move around in the urban community at radio. He knew the players. He knew everybody. He gave me he gave me the motions, man. So I went over to Priority Record with him with uh, projects like Source Money. Um uh 504 Boys, Wobble Wobble, Shakey Shakey um, um, uh, West Side Connection, Little Zane. man, um, it was so it was just so many during during that time, man. So many great, great, great projects, man. And then from there I wound up in uh ninety nine, two thousand, went over to Wu Tang, started the first promotional team ever at Wu Tang, and they made me the vice president of promotions for Wu Tang. Oh, wow. so all the Wu-Tang, whether it, was, whether it was the clothing line whether it was what they, what they were doing with as a group, what they were doing individually I was setting up all the marketing campaigns you feel what I'm saying? and the first part I started working with was the Wu Chronicles came in, did the Wu Chronicles did You God, did Shahid um, GP Wu, a, a couple of other couple of guys that came through there man, uh, I did um, um, what was it? Um, um, the Bobby Digital Project and all that, that was all of me and did and did the whole started the whole uh, Wu Tang World tour when they did the tour from two thousand two thousand two. Yeah, that was me and Sher- the GM, Sherwood Nelson. We did I routed that whole tour. Left them, and now we can go to where you want to go. Two thousand one, when I started the collective, I was I was really at a point that I was just like, okay, okay, I've done all of this. I've got all these plaques and all these wars and accolades and all these things I've done. Now I've been on world tours and all that shit, so I started looking at it like, what else am I doing? Right. Here come, 2000, here come 2001, and guess what happens? Here comes BET moving to 106 and Park. Mm-hmm. <sighs> go ahead, let's go where you want to go, baby. Well, and I'm going to tell you where. You we walk me through here. a collective.
2: Explain for people what right. exactly Collective Consultants is, and, and your overarching, I guess, influence in in hip hop since two thousand and one, because it is fairly significant to say the least. So, just kind of walk us yeah. through what it what it is, what it represents, well, and some of the influences that it well, that it's made. Well,
0: check it out. At, at the time, at the time, we was at Warner Brothers, two thousand and one, um, and we had taken on um, Judgment Records, which was one of the partners that has started. Um, that started Roughhouse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? My man Chris, he had so he started a label called Judgment. He had an artist by the name of Sed. He had um, we had a deal with RCA. He had um, a deal we had said Sed Shenar which is one of the artists. We had um what's them boys? Um Chris Cross. Right. We had them sign and we had, Demstein, and we had uh, public announcement. Funny enough. Like two thousand one, two thousand two, somewhere around there. You know what I mean? And if you remember we went out to the Super Bowl that year, I deal with the Super Bowl in Tampa. Remember that? Yeah, I remember. Right. What was that? 2002, something like
2: that. 2003, something like that.
0: Something like that. I want to say know, two somewhere days. around that time. The early, yeah, it was the early 2000s, man. Well, this was that time when I was working then, and they were out in Kashiaha in Pennsylvania. So I was driving from the Bronx every day to Kashiaha in Pennsylvania, which is almost a two-hour ride.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And after doing that for about six months. I said, man, and I was working with, you know, with my mentor, I Henderson, and I said, man, I can't do this no more. And I had two people that were working with me at the time. My girl Paris Rose, Paris Rose was at Jive Records at the time, but she was working this project with me. And my man Dale, Dale used to be with me over at Island, with me and I met over at Island Black. So we all came back together towards the Judgment Records situation with RCA. Mm-hmm. And I, and even then I still had the rap vehicles. I had two rap <laughs> vehicles at the time, and I was doing them. And when I started the collective agency between the two people I just told you with Paris Rose, it started as a, as a trio. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was the three of us that started. I said, well, we started. I started saying, I kept saying the word the collective. I was like, man, we gonna do this collectively, man. We gotta do this at the collective. <laughs> I was like, you know what? This is what we are gonna name the company. Collective Entertainment Group. And this is what we're gonna do. We went and did it, and we even had a label. We went and did a deal with Lamp Speed. The same label that, that 50 was signed to and all that at the time. Yeah, we, we went and did all of that because we wanted to put out music. We all were great at what we were doing or what we had done at that time. Mm-hmm. Because Paris, Paris, you know, Paris was working with Barry White, who's the president and the owner and founder of Jive Records. Right. You feel what I'm saying? So she had the insight. So we we're like, okay, we're gonna go far. We're gonna take this. We're going to create an independent system, which nobody at the time was doing. There was no real independent systems, you know, in terms of marketing, promotion, independent from the labels, you know what I mean, and things of that nature to be able to provide for these companies. So it was funny because we had, this was our first client, which was Judgment Records, became the first client for The Collective, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So we worked that. I ran the gamut, whatever, whatever. Got tired of going to Pennsylvania. He said, I'm tired of going to Pennsylvania. Mom, I'm not doing this no more, man. It's too hard. <laughs> it's right. too hard of me, man. So, fortunately, here comes PNB Nation. PNB Nation was a, a clothing line that started out initially in the mid 90s. And at that point, around 2002, 2003, they wanted to do a relaunch. So, I knew Shara, Brew, I knew the brothers and all that. I knew the owners of the company, the cat that founded the company. Mm-hmm. and I said don't worry I got ya let's make let's make this happen let's pop this off so funny enough around that same time here comes another line that was an old 80s uh, early 90s line if you remember the line Troop the line that LL Cool J used to rock and all that mm-hmm. long before FUBU right it was called Troop Troop was a b-boy line so here comes Troop and then come a man Duck U Duck U was the president of the company his father had bought out the brand came to me and was like, yo, I want y'all to do my line. And my man Jai was already doing some marketing there, so it made sense Mm -hmm. for me to go in there. So now I got a record label, I got two clothing lines, and I'm working both of them. Now, Troop, Troop, we relaunched, did very well. Went on, I forgot, they cut a deal with Champ or something like that, one of these stores, and to this day it's doing very, very well. You know what I mean? We brought it back, we made it. We made it hot again you mm-hmm. know what I mean but the same way I did with pnB PNB went got hot again we did a it was almost like a two-year campaign made it hot again they went and closed a nice I think it was a 15 or 20 million dollar deal this is the time that you know that echo has sold their company and you know FUBU had sold theirs and so you know the companies were building their brands and then selling the companies out right. you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and then again bored out so a company and B did the same thing. You know who bought them out? You bought Nick Cannon. Ah, okay. Okay? So this is around the time that I got I started to get upset and go, you know what? I can't do this for much longer. I'm not going to continue to work brands and build these brands, and they go going sell them out $15, $20 million, and I got my little $20, 30 40 $50,000 check, and I got to thank you very much, and I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I can't continue to do this without owning equity in these brands. But you know, before we get there, let's 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 pull back a little bit. And so, what I started doing—the reason I started the collective was because of that. I knew that we had a platform. I knew we can work these records. I knew we can work these these products. You know what I mean? So I started working different liquor lines. I mean, I've done hypnotic uh, Nouveau. Um, I did Bacardi flavors. I did. Um, me and Marie for about two years, man. We did um, seven, the whole the whole 1738 campaign. That was all me. You okay. know what I mean? Um, so we started working these brands, but the beauty of it, and once again, let me pull it back a little bit. Um, the beauty of it was in 2001, here comes BET. BET moves to New York. I knew most of the players that were there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Mercedes, Fire the Bug. You know what I mean, and 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 a slew of other people that were there. You know what I mean. That was that was D. Brad. You know who was who was the creator of Rap City and all that. Man, these were these became friends of mine from going to D.C. for so much, for so many years, going with artists. That when they first came to New York, I was right in the pocket when they came. Oh, you here? Oh, I'm here too. So guess what? Now they start this show called 106 and Park. I start looking at this, going. And as they're building numbers, they're building numbers, you know what I mean? Before you know it, they had a million followers. Before, I mean, they had a million views. Then they had two million viewers. So I start going, wow, who knows? I know the DP. I know the EP. I know the director. I know the sound man. <laughs> I know the, the, the stage manager, my man Craig Bryant. I, I, I know everybody up in here. What am I doing?
1: Right.
0: You know what I mean? What what can I do? You know what I mean. I started continuing to bring artists through, which I would get paid for, obviously to schedule artists to be on one of i parties, work for labels and provide that. But what's crazy about it is that I started to realize that we had all these products. Let's say, let's say, I would get 100 of a hundred pieces of a CD or mixtape or whatever it was, man. What I would do is I would literally go to the audience and give them out to the audience. Now, mind you, at first, I was just getting paid but I, I got from the label to do my job. Mm-hmm. So this was, to me, this was an extension of my job, what I got paid for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, oh, shit, now you can get my product on one of the product. Yeah, the audience is going to have your flyer. The audience is going to have your CD. They're going to be swinging. The audience is going to have your promotional T-shirt you know we, we've all had, I had all these promotional tools or so whatever I would bring I'd bring a hundred because our audience was a hundred mm-hmm. you know what I mean right. hundred people all the time never went above that so I would bring a hundred pieces and service everybody and they would be in the audience so then this was part this became part of my servicing mm-hmm. and I was doing this until I realized wow you know what price need to go up a little bit this show this show is in front of three four million people every night right three or four million people watching this like oh no 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 I'm I'm, no this isn't happening no more this was about 2003 2004 somewhere around there I started to realize that there was real big value especially once I found out that Marcy Polanco who was the head of corporate management you know corporate liaison at B T, she was getting almost $10,000 to showcase somebody's product in the audience on the show mmm so I was going, wow, okay, damn! I'm not need to do that, and I got the outlet. So, what was happening was that I now started charging people, clothing lines, different independent companies. I started charging them to have their product be featured in the audience of 106 Park.
1: Mm-hmm. and I
0: was charging them a thousand dollars. I was charging them fifteen hundred dollars, depending on who you were and how much money you had.
1: Mm-hmm. You know
0: what I mean? And I was putting anywhere between five pieces. All the way up to fifty pieces in the audience without having to deal with BET's corporate side. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. And getting away with it for a few for the first few years, I got away with it. That's fucking brilliant, <laughs> fucking brilliant. But that's yeah. the
2: art. That's the art. That's the art of the
0: marketeer, the promoter. <laughs> oh, that's man. when you when you when you see when you see an outlet, you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. you see a platform that you can utilize, and you say, "Wow, this is this is what I need to be doing." Mm -hmm. guess what then they started then like I said then they started going harder on it and it got harder for me to do it but Mm -hmm. what I started doing between you and I was was putting putting people in the audience like I would would call five of my dudes (laughs) I "Yo, y'all want y'all want to come see uh, you know uh, y'all want to come see Beyonce on one of the parts today yeah dude I'd be like yo I got five tickets for y'all but I need for you to rock these shirts Mm -hmm. and they'd be like okay cool so they were all rocking shirts and then I talked to the DP I break him off, you know, this is the business.
1: Mm-hmm. I break yep. him
0: off, and then when the show was starting, the intro of the show, the middle part of the show, and the end of the show, I'd always get a shot. Right. The show could be started, maybe remember back in the day, you start, like, and as that shot was coming in, that premier shot,
1: mm-hmm. and he was
0: going through the, um, through the audience,
1: mm-hmm.
0: automatically you would see the product placement. Right. So I became now famous for doing that. You know what I mean? Until it caught up with me and Marcy Polanco called me. And I remember her calling me to her office like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, I heard that you, this is what you're doing. So I was like, um. so at that point, I thought I was going to get banned out of the building. And she, at that point, she offered me a job. <laughs> come work with, come with, with us, man. Don't stop taking that money. stop still. You know what I mean? Like, basically, it was like, <laughs> stop get going around us and come fuck with us. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come be a part of what we doing. Come be a part of that. Even all of that. Like 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 um Troop. Um um what was I talking about? Troop, um, 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 um PNB Nation. Right. Um Ava Rex um coming like Dada I did all the Data stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, um oof block yeah. um, 29 Right You feel what I'm saying Aniche Yeah I did Yo let me tell you Almost every FUBU hmm Um Everything that um, we were Branded. That we were wearing In
2: the early 2000s yeah, when I was Mar- still Yeah
0: Mar- Macavelli Mar- Branded. Brand, Mar- Branded You know what I mean um, All these companies man I did the marketing for them Back in the days I was the one that used to do The product placements for them So It was easy for me To get them placed on the show Then once we started Freestyle Friday I used to do the, the I used to help pick the people that would come on out Face Off Friday. I used to help put the DJs that were on Rap City. I used oh, okay. to book all the DJs that was on Rap City until my man Emo took over. Okay. I used to book all the DJs that was on there, man. That's how, you know, from you know, we had core DJs and Hitman and all that. So at the time, you know, technician before that, so I was pulling from my resources mm-hmm. and all the people I knew. And the people that I worked records with, so I was I was bringing all my high end dudes first. And eventually when Emo came in he started picking picking the choosing cast. You feel know what I'm saying? Right. But I did all that so it was beautiful for me because I would put my clothes on them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like even with hypnotic, the first place when we had with Hypnotic and you can ask Nick Storm this to this day. You know, Nick Storm is now at, at um he's at Diddy stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He does uh he does rock and all that. You know, he's the head of head of marketing for Ciroc. But he was... That's my brother from Sony Records Day, man. We did hypnotic, man. Our first placement was with Diddy. I Need a Girl. Remember that record? Mm-hmm, of course. All right. That was our first placement with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, we was the dudes that was putting them in the videos, that was putting the liquors in the videos. We were the dudes that were putting the clothing in the videos, man. That's what uh, The Collective right. was about at that point in time, uh-huh. utilizing our resources. I tell people, man, to this day... To this day, two thousand seventeen, I have never worked with product and not utilized my I tell people I don't market to the consumer. I market to my community. Mm-hmm. And then my my then my community in turn engages and teaches and educates the consumer as to what they should be wearing, what they should be drinking, what they should be driving, what they should be listening to. But that's what we do. And that's
2: and it's we and, do it, that. and it's so cool because that's exactly what, what ended up happening. Um, in a lot of different ways, because truth be told, like I'm a child of the early 2000s. I graduated from high school in 2002, and as you were sitting there going through lot nine, lot twenty nine, Machiavelli branded, and all of those different type of those different type mm-hmm. of brands. That's the stuff that we were wearing when we were in high school. Like that, that literally is what we were rocking. So I can definitely see how those things end up influencing influencing us, even from hundreds of miles away in Jacksonville, Florida, and and to that point, I gotta ask I you. Mean,
0: it's this. everywhere, brother. I mean, it's even even things like like the two way alerts, man. When we had the mm-hmm. Motorola two way alerts, man. You know that was our first. Because <laughs> I because I had one of those two. Way really communicating and things like that, man. And I remember be- when nobody had them, and it was it was like me, I'm mad. It was like another dude over here, another dude over there, and I'm like, okay, what are we doing with this? Like we're hitting each other. Mm -hmm. Like it's four of us that got it. We're just hitting each other. And then it ends up in a Jay Z video. (laughs) Yeah, and then all of a sudden, exactly. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We educated a community to want to rock with these. We we educated a nation to utilize these Mm -hmm. because they seen us walking around communicating like this, and hitting each other on sidekicks and rollers and all of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And communicating like that, not just via phone. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? Right. And we, we taught cats how to use this, man. And understand this, so I'm trying to tell you, like, I've never educated the consumer. Anything ever works, i never educated the consumer. I go to my DJs. I go to my artists. I go to my marketeers in my industry, and I get them to support what I do. Because like I said, once again, we are the ones that educate the consumer. My community, whether it's an on-air personality, a DJ, an artist, a director that could put it in his video. All these people, man, are stylists. These are all people that educate the consumer based on our placements and where we put our products. You right. know what I'm saying?
1: Right.
0: And that's how we. That's how we generate. That's how we generate the um, the awareness mm-hmm. to our products. Hundred you know, percent. That's how. That's how I come today, because we are uh, 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 an. Organ- we are. Um, we are a nation we are a community that has over a trillion dollars in of expendable income to spend
1: mm-hmm.
0: yep. this is why to this day uh, um, white Anglo-Saxon America and corporate America wants so much each and every day to be a part of what we do and what we buy as an urban community, I, I completely understand? agree with you. I completely. Whether agree it's a vehicle, whether it's a pair of sunglasses, whether it's a hat, whether it's a clothing line, whether it's a new liquor line, I understand, man. I mean, look, what 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 are two of the hottest liquor lines, or let's say three of the hottest liquor lines right now that everybody's talking about? Girac, mm-hmm. Effin, mm-hmm. and Belair. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's three of the hottest people in our community that are behind that. 50, Pete Diddy, and Rick Ross.
2: Right.
0: You understand? Right. So guess what? You know that we live in a nation of followers. hmm That's just the reality of it. hmm You understand? Yeah. So guess what? Whatever the big boys are doing, that's what we're going to do. Right. When the big boys were drinking Hennessy, what were we drinking? Hennessy. When everybody was <laughs> drinking Moet, what were we drinking? Moet. Okay, when 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 Buster Ryan came talking about Pastor Cavassier, guess what we were drinking? Cavassier. Mm. When when Run D M C said my uh, Adidas, you know what I mean? Everybody started taking their shoelaces
2: out of some Adidas and wearing shell toes. Yeah,
0: man. Guess what? When Nelly came back and said and then and my Air won One, guess what? The whole nation was rocking Air Force One and wearing their jerseys backwards because I have high
2: school pictures of me in a fucking Eddie George jersey backwards and it looks absolutely ridiculous now but you
0: know. there you go that was the look man just like <laughs> look when when we started rocking the throwback jerseys man everybody was going out and buying the most expensive jerseys they could find hardwood floor jerseys and all that man they were spending two three hundred dollars to put on the jersey now all of a sudden you, you look in the closet and they got ten jerseys sitting there each one of them worth three four hundred dollars
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know what i'm mean? saying <laughs> but you did it because it's an alliance of our community, man. Mm-hmm. And when we align to support them, there was something that Norby was saying the other day that I watched in the interview that I, I, it hit me so impacted when he was saying if we all got behind Diddy, and he was actually saying this on the on the on the Breakfast Club. Yeah, I was about to say the water Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah. yeah because he part of Revolt, right? And he was saying he said if we all got behind the way we should be behind Diddy, and Revolt, the movement as Revolt TV. Revo will be the next D.E.T. or the next MTV, easily. Right. right. They just need more, pro, more better programming. Right. Obviously, like Dream Tramps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Some of the shows that they picked up now are getting a little bit better. They're a little slicker. They brought in, actually, some of the guys that used to be, like, Ron and Dukes and so on and so forth that were over at Viacom. Mm-hmm. you know, to, to give them a streamlined look programming, better programming, you know what I mean, better shows, you know what I mean. They're going to look crispier when they come on. So guess what? If we all get to support, if we all get behind and support one system, the system's gonna turn around and support us. Right. This is our support system.
1: Now,
2: man, I gotta, I gotta move us, I gotta move us forward, cause I know I, can, I won't have you forever. So, I gotta <laughs> Go get ahead, through, I gotta get through the timeline. Now, obviously, you get to the point to where you know you're bouncing around the country, all over the place, and your, and your influence is definitely felt throughout the entire United States from a branding, marketing, promotional standpoint. But stopping in Jacksonville isn't quite as common. Now, the first time that I meet you is in 2006 when I'm running with Bungie Entertainment, specifically with Shout Out. Can you talk to what led you to Jacksonville, of all places? Um, and obviously, with the majority of the listeners this, this, being from this, Jacksonville, this how you end real, up with Jernardo and Shout Out? Okay, this one's
0: real simple. I'm going to tell you exactly how I happened. Shot and them I met at Justo Mixtape Awards yesterday. Okay. And that's how we wanted to connect them in terms of that. Um, I also knew a couple other players out here, which is um, Young Cash. Oh, so you knew Vicky Mac? Yeah, Young Cash, Mr. Mac, which at the time was MoE Entertainment, and Mm -hmm. now they Win Squad. So I knew, I knew those guys prior to me even coming here. I also knew, you know, uh, T Roy and Doom, and so on and so forth. The local hot cats that was out here in terms of the radio station with the beat Mm -hmm. and so forth. So. My, my initial intention was to come out here and work with Doc Winters. Oh, see anybody of the urban uh, programming for all the Clear Channel. At the time it still is, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Claire Channel, my heart. Mm-hmm. But that was that was my intention in coming out here to get closer to that situation, so I could I could finally learn from from the other side of the table. You know what I've been doing from this side of the table. You know right. what I mean? Right. What it takes from that side. So that got me here. I spent some time here. Help young Cass get out of his deal with um, with um, with Loud, you know what I mean, so that he could sign over to Nappy Boy. Loud, because so, um, I know he was with SRC because I was
2: interning there.
0: Yeah, well, it was loud. It was loud SRC, oh, you know. Okay, but, yeah, yeah, okay. You know what I mean, so he was he was signing SRC. gabi Gabby my brother was the one that signed them about the same time so like they signed Acon yep. and David Banner and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So that was that was part of my process, you know, I already knew the family, so it made sense for me to be a part of this system and what was going on here. But I also knew that me leaving New York was necessary because I seen the, the shift in in the music, I seen the shift in, in, in where the community was going, everything. It went it went through the transition of going from New York to LA and then from New York to LA to to Miami and then from Miami all the way back to Atlanta. Okay. I watched the transition happen. You feel okay. what I'm saying? So as a businessman and and, and an entrepreneur, in order for you to stay in this business, man, you gotta continue to change. You gotta continue to grow with the times. Mm -hmm. So, me, and making the small move that I made to come down this way was because it made sense for me at the time to start to make that, I've been been rocking with the Southeast market for so many years, it made sense at that time to leave New York and be the first one of my community to pick up and leave and not come back,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know what I'm saying? And, And basically become a part of the movement that is happening down south and what's happening at the time, you know, which is what, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was happening at the time and how it was building how it was growing and to infuse myself into that, being the, the smart businessman that I was, I was like, let me get in now before all my cats in New York start to realize and they all start migrating down south, which is what's happening now. Right. If you look at it now, what's been happening over the last few years, everybody that's out in New York has been migrating down this way because they see the opportunity better down this way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you feel know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a, me being a smart businessman, I just did what was smart for me at the time. Okay. You know what I mean? To make the transition, and I seen the vision and where we were going, and I said, you know what? I'm not going down with this stinking shit. Right. <laughs> I ain't the captain of this shit, so I ain't going down with it. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> it's time for me to go. I told totally you. And understand. then from there, I wound up as you know, I, I transitioned to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what I mean? after working with Bungie and after working with MOE for a little bit transitioned to Miami and got a great opportunity to work with one of the greatest clubs to ever do hip-hop and r and which was SoBe Live mm-hmm. you know what I mean as you know VH1 honored them and so on and so forth it's the hottest R&B and hip-hop club in the nation mm-hmm. so I was doing programming for So Live and um also working for a magazine at the time called 944 Magazine mm-hmm. which was a free magazine but it was it was what they call a um,
1: an ad-driven
0: magazine it was, it was obviously it was funded through advertising mm-hmm. and was one of the hottest magazines out of miami and in the, in the country at one point you know what i mean literally they were based originally came in from from arizona and um and was part of that now we continue you want me to continue going oh no i mean you can keep going This fine well we going now 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 we're going up the timeline so I'm, I'm i'm with you on the timeline Right.
2: Well, where I'm at is is we, we were talking about guerrilla marketing early in the show. Right. And now we're at that right. other part where we want to kind of tie it all together. So since roughly 2007, with the implementation of digital marketing, you know, our Facebooks, our mm-hmm. MySpace, Instagram, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that has come over the last five to seven years uh, into the music industry, many would say that campaign management and branding has changed in such a way that many of the professionals of the past have become obsolete. How do you maintain yourself as a valuable resource in a world that is changing around you? And and how you go about building brands that people are interested in? And how do you go about marketing to demographics now in this new
0: digital age? Well, I ain't gonna lie, man. The template hasn't changed much. Like I told, like I said earlier, as as you grow as a businessman you have to look around what's going on around you and and you know what's hot now so you have to constantly keep reinventing yourself right and I mean and that's and that's what I've been good at throughout the years for the last 30 years I've been in the business is to mm-hmm. constantly keep reinventing myself and seeing where the next movement is going what's going to be hot next where you know what's the reinvention so um, with that being said um, I got with a company in 2009 go ahead can we shoot there to sure 2009? go ahead go ahead okay, I got it with a company. At the time, that was a startup company and it they was, they was starting to generate a lot of noise but had no real traction and they go by the name of Coast to Coast Mixtapes, coastcoastmixtapes.com. Mm-hmm. Um, got with them and they were doing their first conference. Um, two guys by the name of Nick and Fats that owned the company was to this day 2017, still my business partners um, in a company that We've, you know, I don't even want to fast forward, so we will keep it right where we at. No, you can you but can go I, how you go. That's fine. We're moving at a no, good no, pace no. now. No, no. I just, <laughs> nah, I just I, it's, it's in a great place right now. But you know what I mean with with the with with the with the the avenues that we've created and things of that nature. But you know, we went we went. I don't I don't want to bypass the process too with the DJs real quick. You know what we did with with core DJs mm-hmm. and Hitman DJs coming from. The technician DJs, man, and that kind of changed. But we that already started to change how we were operating. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying in terms of how we were marketing. Because before that, and it's funny because somebody was just asking me this yesterday, man, yo, um, um, what record pools you got that you still know? I'm like, record pools, right? <laughs> I'm like, record pools, dude. Like I ain't heard somebody ask about record pools since the mid '80s, early '90s. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying,
1: like, like,
0: like record pools. Have become obsolete. There's maybe one or two still left in the country. Yeah, even mean, T.J.'s it, DJs is they, gone. As influential as that was, yeah, it's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. You got you got you know you got the Baltimore record pool. Even even Atlanta record pool, which is Pete Brown's, not really a record pool because they don't sit there and collect records and service them out, which is what a record pool does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You feel what I'm saying? And so that's primarily what they did. It used to be a place where DJ would come. They pay their fee every month and go <clears throat> go pick up their their hot records or the records they've been serviced for the month because mm-hmm. what we used to do as labels is service these record pools and people in turn would service out all their DJs so we didn't have to deal with individuals mm-hmm. and we dealt with one organization so I tell people that transition into DJ coalitions. so it started becoming like you, you ain't got to service all the DJs you go service Tony Neal you go deal with Tony Neal you go deal with Casper you know what I mean
1: mm-hmm. or you deal
0: with you know Bump Squad and that, that Prince you know what I mean and you deal with these, with these people directly and then they go service out their DJs so We went through that process doing the core DJs and all that, which was a great time, and I did a good 10 years with them, Mm -hmm. and we we did some great things in that process, man. But that being said, man, when I got got with Coast to Coast, I seen a startup company that that had a great template. Um, They owned the IP to what they were doing, so that was very important to me. Um, It's important, you know, just so you know, let me put it up out there. It's important that you own your own stuff. Mm-hmm. intellectual property to your things, build your own things out, don't let nobody else own what's yours. Right. You know what I mean? So, they owned the intellectual property have built out a nice company behind mm-hmm. it, but nobody knew the brand. And I was just, me personally, I was just starting to get into this tech world because I had just swung off a of MP, not MP3 Wax, off of um, DigiWax. Right. You feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I helped with CL, you know what I mean? CL and Neil. In terms of marketing their company when they first started doing this, and this goes back to you know Mitchell Power Summit when we first started marketing this, and between you and I, I was always skeptical about it. So I was like MP3, man, what what is mp This ain't all that You know, like somebody told me, uh, World Wide Web. What the hell is World Wide Web? Man? What is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Land. You gotta keep. That's you gotta cool. keep. You gotta keep in mind. It's 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 like a brother that when you're young. All you have was black and white TV, and then by the time you're 21, 22, you got Technicolor.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you
0: got 15 of TV, so it's a whole new world out there. How do you adapt and apply
1: right. what you
0: know and what you've done to that new world, man? So you, you create a transitional spot. And so I knew that I didn't know a lot about this tech world. You know what I mean? I wasn't tech savvy. I tell people all the time, man. To this day, I still have problems checking my email sometimes. You know what I mean? Oh, I I, I, I know because I think I, I was one of the first com. people to show you MySpace. But go ahead. You know, <laughs> exactly, there you go. Exactly. Let let's go all the way there. You know what I mean? Where it started at MySpace, man, and and I had problems with MySpace, man. Understanding what what value this added to me and what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You Understand? It took me a while, other than trying to click on friends and finding you know quote unquote females on there because a lot of us were doing it just to find females in mm-hmm. different cities because I was already on the road doing stuff so that became a tool for me to find people in different cities that I could rock with mm-hmm. you know what I, mean? yep. so I really, but I really didn't understand the full marketing property of it like how, how this could be it's real time impact you know what I mean where I could send something out a second and the second later somebody could give back and be like I love it or hate it
1: mm-hmm.
0: I didn't understand that and that's what that's what CL was trying to teach me in terms of um, what they were doing at DigiWax like, look, we got, you know, 300 DJs that we send emails to and we send them with the music, and then they, they go and they survey or they rate the music and stuff like that, and they send it back to us, and we apply that, and we send it out to, you know, we send it out to the clients. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like So we don't on. have to ship no more. Yeah, we don't got to ship no more. We don't got to go through that, man. We don't got to wait for them to get the package where there's 30 packages sitting in their, in their, in their front, you're not so wasting product by sending out open. stuff. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. So we don't got to spend this money no more. And okay, now, okay, I understand that side of it. That's dope. So I, I was fortunate enough through this process of me going through this this the this, this, this transition in my life around that time, around 2008, 2009, 2007. While I was trying to figure out, okay, I left BT. That was good. I did that time over there. I did about three years over there doing the product placements and then working in programming and things of that nature right
1: mm-hmm.
0: i had a great time doing that left there came when you met me mm-hmm. down to florida did that and then had the opportunity did the magazine thing did the show Be live then had the opportunity to go back to work for, for tvt records my man sean sean called me at the time was like yo everybody left here Was parlor who was there left and all the players that were there at the time and they still had artists like pitbull there they had um they had Yin Yang twins. Mm-hmm. They had uh, um, they had um, um, what's her name, um, Lumi D. Okay. I mean? They had Yo Gotti. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate when I came back. He was like, "Yo, I want you to work this Yin Yang twins." So I was like, "Oh Jesus, I never really, I was never really a fan of Yin Yang twins." But you know, the fast forward the story. So I went on the road with Yin Yang, got off the road with Yin Yang. Next thing he calls me up and says, "Yo, now I'm back in New York." So he goes to me, now I'm starting to learn the new process at this point. Like, we're not sending out, we're not shipping out records no more. We're sending out MP3s like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, this is my first opportunity to jump back in and do this, which was great for me because it allowed me to learn the new process. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. It had already been a few, quite a few years since I had even worked the record. So I got to learn the new process of how the new industry was starting to work now. Mm-hmm. How they were shipping out these records, how they were getting their feedback, how they were getting the records played the same day, you know what I mean? And how that process was working. So, I was able to come back and learn that by working Union Twins, I worked um, Lumi D um, with Tony Sunshine. She's like the wind. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like the wind next to me. And I got to work. Um, I was actually the one that that crossed over Yo Gotti with the record that he had. What uh, was it? Vibez with, uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Pleasures of Peace. Yeah. I did that and took them on the road. That's why to this day they love me to death because I was the one that crossed them over. You know what I'm saying? Right. So through going back to doing that before I wound back Coast to Coast, it gave me an opportunity to start to understand how this digital marketing and this world wide web and this internet thing was applying to our day-to-day. You know what I mean? Right. how is it that I work this day to day how can I communicate with my guys day to day oh god they're sending me emails cool this is dope they're sending me back like yo Maddo I love this record yo I'm putting it on my show tonight they hitting me back with feedback yo I can't do this yo Maddo can I do this show so I'm going okay so this is how all this applies and then like when you showed me my space and I got into that I started to understand how I can apply this to everything that we were doing because I can get a quick response and a quick impact Right there. As mm-hmm. soon as I send it out, boom, I'm getting feedback. I'm getting feedback, and you know our business is about that feedback. Right, hundred percent. Because it allows it allows us to know where we're moving and where our money's gonna apply. So fast forward 2009, I did that. So when I got to coast to coast and realized what they were doing and how they were servicing now these independent artists to the DJs and to the masses, and they were doing these mixtapes and everything that they were doing, I was going, wow, this is dope.
1: Mm-hmm. And they were
0: sitting out in Portland, and I was like, bro, we need to get you out of Portland and get you to Miami. Mm-hmm. So, 2010, I moved them down to Miami, and we started Coast to Coast Mixed, as you see today. We started, I started Coast to Coast and Active. I started Coast to FM. I started Coast to Coast, the magazine. I started all these other templates and these, these other revenue streams to help and, and incorporated them into what they was already hot with, which was and then I took them out into the market and, and, and because everybody knew the Little Fats name because every time you got an email, us said Little Fats Presents. So guess what? I treated Fats just the same way I did any other client. I treated him like he was an artist. Mm-hmm. Took him out on the road, introduced him to the markets, took him out to the court DJ retreats and all that, took him out to the Hitman retreats, took him out to all the events that we used to go to and introduced him in particular like he was the artist. of it. like, yo, you know, what? Coast to Coast. He says, yeah. You 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 get the beast that says little fat dude. Yeah, well that's him right there. Little fat dude right there.
1: <laughs> that's him right
0: there. <laughs> Go talk to him. He needs your support. Right. You know what I mean? And that's and that's how I got into the dot com game. You know what I mean? Since then I have picked up you know, a couple other companies that we work with, mp 3 Dot which we we made them hot. You know, my I man Chris. That's how I left Coast to Coast. The dad uh, nerve DJs mm-hmm. and what they doing with their movement nerve. I'm the vice president of nerve DJ South, so you know I'll help oversee nerve DJ dot com. I got stop which is out of Indianapolis. I mean, we get over over <coughs> excuse me over over twenty five million streams a year. You know what I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and it's it's taken off over the last over the last six years. Crazy. You know what I'm saying? And I'm also a partner there and I'm, you know, and and I'm the vice president of that company. Well, actually not the vice, I'm the president of that company. So I realized how, and then, and I'm going to wrap this up for you, Mm. I realized how, and this coming into 2017, I realized how all this works and how it applies to the whole viral system and the whole viral community and viral marketing and how it applies and how it's. Good for quick feedback and quick response, and you know, building analytics and numbers and things of that nature. Which obviously, throughout the years, I've learned a little something. You know what I'm saying, and how it applies. Right. But I also I also realized coming down to 2017, when I look around, and not only look at that, but I look at the economy where it's at, and how people cannot afford what they had. They don't have internet in their houses the way they had. They don't have computers in their houses the way they had. You know what I mean? And things of that nature, mm-hmm. that it's still important. It's so important these days to still utilize the hand-to-hand mm-hmm. marketing and combat.
1: That's coming back around started.
0: very much so. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it stopped It stopped for a few years because cats kept thinking that that's all they need to do was get on their computer, and that's all they needed to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now they're realizing that they—that's not enough, man. You have to. Not everybody could do what Soldier Boy did. That was—that was a. An enigma, you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's not gonna happen again. The same way Fifty with the mixtape one. Fifty started when people realized he popped off the mixtapes, Then everybody wanted to go do a mixtape. You, you,
2: you look at you look at what's happening reality. now. Where you look at what's happening now with like pop up shops. Like that's the new, really cool thing that I've really seen. Because I got uh, yeah. I kind of got out it's of the decline. industry it's in decline. 2010. Everybody wanna do that. Yeah, like now everybody's doing it. But man, when that first came on the scene, like like I said, I kind of got out of the industry in 2010. This has kind of been right. my way back in, but um, right. but like like I thought that that was super cool when I started seeing that about three three and a half four years ago, when people just started randomly like you know like there, there would be this empty this empty space one day and then the next day you know like. They didn't like put a whole bunch of walls up and stuff. They put up a couple of things, tables, put a DJ table in there. Yeah. And it's a quick clothing store that runs for like a month. So they did one month yeah. worth of service well, anywhere, orders. Any, and any
0: brick, any brick and mortar, and it could be It could be in a barbershop that the man owns. Right. You know what I mean? And you, and you take the barbershop over for the day and do a pop up shop on a Saturday. Right. You know what I mean? It could be, it could be uh, 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 a museum. Uh, uh, like right now, I got, I got um, Beto Gucci and his family. They own a museum on South Beach right on right on um, Biscayne and they wanna start doing events up in there. So that's the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, wow we could do a couple of pop up events up in here. Matter of fact we're doing the first one for Urban Film Festival, um, Labor Day weekend. Right. So that's 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 something that became yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's like I try to say, man, it always becomes one thing that becomes a trend that everybody starts to follow.
1: Mm-hmm. But then
0: it becomes so inundated that guess what? Now you gotta find something else. Right.
2: But that, that, but then, that's a, a, a testament like, to the fact like that with me,
0: I got to go create, I got for me, I got to go create something else.
2: Right, but that's and a testament to, to the, that the fact control. that, like now, we have a situation where, like physical hand to hand, like like actual interaction beyond the digital format is starting to come back in a really cool and unique way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: yeah, man. And it still hasn't left. And, and matter of fact, it still hasn't left in terms of the hand to hand because it's coming back because people are realizing the necessity for it in order to get a quicker traction, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? A quicker awareness, as opposed to you being online. Yeah, that goes that goes far in the flies and all that, man. But I'm telling you, you go into these hoods, and you start putting out flies, you start putting up posters again, you start giving out CDs again, or drives or things of that nature, man, or these little um, digi-cards that they give out now and all that, man, that these cats need. Yeah, you, 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 you still need to go out there and, and, and you know, just like a presidency, you know, you know election campaign, man, you still got to shake the hands and kiss the
2: baby. Perfect example of all it. of that. Perfect example of all of that. And then we'll hit two more questions and then I'll let you go. Perfect example of that. Oh, cool, I, I love to always talk about is Ivory Orr. Ivory Orr has been a great example of that because a lot of people think that, like, his success is a byproduct of, You know, his ability to be able to do a bunch of flyers or him having enough money to do radio and all those kind of things. What it really boils down to is that hand-to-hand personal relationship that he fostered over the really the first three to five years of his career at the Roxy and things like that. When he was getting his hair cut at the barbershop with everybody else and he still goes. I mean, he could probably afford to get somebody to come to him and cut his hair now, but... He, mm-hmm. he still goes to the shop. He still communicates with the people. There's still that personal hand-to-hand relationship which makes people be like, I want to go to Pure. I want to go to Sea Chasers or wherever he's going next. Like That's going to be that 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 sort of relationship and what he taught to his people, what he taught to Leah, what he taught to uh, Roger Vermeer, what, what he taught to Jay Floyd, right. what he taught to right. Chose has right. ultimately created that environment where those people feel invested in him, which is the reason they're going to move from pure as it closes down to the landing and from the landing to wherever so he go. goes next you know what i'm saying exactly
0: so, you gotta follow it
2: right so so moving into these last two questions and then i'll let you go you've been a part of the jacksonville scene because i always got to bring it back home you've been a part yeah. of the jacksonville scene in one capacity or another for over a decade of in some capacity or another what are your thoughts on the jacksonville 12 years en- now, baby. yeah 12 years what's your thoughts on the jacksonville entertainment scene in 2017 and, and, and what's your thoughts on kind of like the artist scene? Because I, I, I always try to make sure that I continue to big up my folks, even though I'm not in Jacksonville, big up the folks that I know are huge influences in, in Jacksonville from an artist standpoint. You've got people like Tokyo Jets who just released an amazing mixtape. Right. Fucking amazing mixtape. You you you've got you've got cash who I know for a fact because I had Joey on the show a couple of weeks ago. Joey's got some stuff yeah, in the pipeline exactly. that he's going to be doing. You've got well, Belize you got, you doing got his track. thing. You
0: got yeah, he got the Six Man project now. Mm-hmm. You got you got um you got Track Beckham. Mm-hmm. Track, track Beckham is now managed by by TJ Man and Shining Jeff Jam.
2: Oh yeah, you've still track got Grand Prix and you've got Ricky on that. By the way, I have a record for I have a record for Grand Prix from that Grand Prix sent me that I cannot release until later on this month. <laughs> but but boy <laughs> Trap coming with some heat, boy. <laughs> like, yeah, but what, it's are it's your, it's what are your what are your thoughts moon, on on, man, on the scene? Too, what what are your thoughts on the scene, just in general? Those artists, and just kind of talk a little bit about that stuff and what you, oh, you feel got, like. Just got T, you got
0: you got T One out here too. T One making a lot of moves, and he's working mm-hmm. with DJ Envy now on, on Envy's album. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a, another, another young lady by Jatara. Mm-hmm. Um, she she's an incredible vocalist, eighteen years old. Um, uh, she got a, a three octave vocal man we about to do some things with her man I got her I got her in some motion right now
1: Okay, you feel what
0: I'm saying so okay. I'm always I'm always supporting the local scene um, you know I don't I don't think since since is since left there, there's the support that, that should be you know uh, and, and that's a conversation I'm not gonna take right now but mm-hmm. and that I don't wanna speak on you know what I mean Cause mm-hmm. I, I still gotta live out here I still gotta move these streets mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying but I got love and respect for Bigger and everybody else, man, that has made moves. Um, I've watched DJ Doom come up throughout the years, and now he's starting to get outside his market. Mm-hmm. It's about getting outside the market, man. There's a lot of good talent here. You know what I mean? There's a lot of good brothers here, man. T-Roy, you know, um, um, G and everybody, man. g wiz man. Like, I-, I love all these cats, man. Like, I've really seen the movement, man. It's-, it's about getting outside the market.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Bottom line, man, You cannot you cannot sit here and anticipate that you're going to do good sitting here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And i watched it with Cash. i watched it with FGZ. I'm watching it right now with my director, Hot as I'm moving in to Atlanta now because mm-hmm. he's done a lot of great stuff here. But guess what? you got to get outside your market, man. Right. And not, it's not only hometown. It's not only JV. It's anywhere that you at, man, that you feel like. Even even if you're sitting in New York, you can't just be in New York if you feel like, oh, man, I'm in the greatest city United States of America. No, it's not, B. Right. <laughs> you understand? It's cool, but guess what? You need to move into these other markets, man. You need to move into the secondary markets, man, which are so important to the development of artists these days, man. Mm-hmm. You feel what I'm saying? Going into into Arkansas, going into uh, Mississippi, mm-hmm. going into Tennessee, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, Oklahoma, you feel what I'm saying?
2: There's a uh, the scene out there for it, because I lived it. in Fayetteville, Arkansas for a minute, and Oklahoma is right there, and it, there's
0: a hip hop scene in it, Oklahoma. Yeah, then you know then you know what it is, man. I, I just I just I told you I just did a book in there now for for Bianca, for Bianca Bonnie from Loving Hip Hop New York, man, and she had she never been to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is her first trip and all the years going back to even chicken noodle soup. she had never been in Oklahoma City. Right. She's like, Man, dog, nobody nobody ever told me I had to go to Oklahoma. I said, nobody's supposed to tell you, man. You're supposed to cover every city, every nook and cranny. But mm-hmm. the you 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 wanna just go to New York, LA. Atlanta Miami Chicago the primary markets, man, and guess what there's so many more people in these secondary markets man that live there mm-hmm. And they need that
1: mm-hmm. they,
0: they need that entertainment. They need that value They need the good music and all that so you got to get into the markets man So really for me in terms of what's going on here man There's a lot of good talent here man. You got my man Dean Dozier too who just left He's, he's out of, he got a nice studio out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. All these brothers man Are getting out of here and guess what? They're being recognized when they leave here, mm-hmm. because guess what? There is talent. Yeah. You know what I mean, T-T Boys perfect example, Dudes perfect example. These brothers have been at radio for over ten years here, and fortunately, with syndicated radio and with Clear Channel becoming the powerhouse that it is now, with iHeart and all that, their 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 loyalty is not paying off.
1: Mm-hmm. But they've been
0: loyal to this station and this market for so many years, and now all of them brothers are now in syndicated markets. Right. So guess what? they're finally getting the opportunity to break out of here man and you look at bigger ranking who left here to go to Atlanta because he needed to expand his, his fan base mm-hmm. he's been here for so many years he's done so much for this community you know what I mean in terms of helping cats out and putting them in positions position and teaching them the ropes you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. that for a lot of years you know it wasn't even his career no more his right. career was for everybody else man so it was time for him after, you know after all the years of doing what he did to finally focus on building himself so that he can get out the market right and and fortunately we was able to do that for him when he first started coming into the coast coast of coast, coast and the axes and all of that and being part of that system you know what I mean and coming out and being part of our events and part of part of what we were doing and I introduced him to that in 2009 and told him come join me man mm-hmm. I said watch what we're about to do and come be a part of what we're gonna do Right. and to help his system and help his people out to help Kingpin out to help Derek Duran caught djq all these cats that are now part of my coast to family and my coast-to-coast system and touring when we do these tours and now we're overseas and all that man we do 12 cities every month you know what i mean And we provide tangible opportunity for up-and-coming artists and for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and i just would be remiss i definitely because
2: it just came out yesterday i did mention it at the beginning of the question but for the listeners out there Make sure you go pick up that new Tokyo Jets viral. That shit okay. is fucking amazing. It it is the perfect collection. From being, it's not it's not too long that it's hard to digest. It's not too short. Um, the features are perfect on it. Whoever sequenced that that whole that whole mixtape out, they did an impeccable job. And Tokyo just she does exactly what 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 t i signed her for i said it when i was talking to another friend earlier about that about that mixtape she's like a little t i like when i listened to that i felt the same way about that mixtape the way that i felt when i was 17 years old chasing down and i'm serious I'm, i'm serious album by t i she's like a little version of him like at that point in his career and it's just it's amazing it's amazing now, last question. you just
0: got a great opportunity on the tour to that did.
2: The Hustle Gang tour, yeah, cities. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, one final thing, and I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up this man's name, especially with everything that's happened recently. I, I don't know how deep your relationship was with Derek Washington before he passed away, but. um what little you may or may not know about him, can you kind of talk about Derek Washington? I know, I
0: know, I know a lot, bro.
2: Yeah, can you talk about Derek Washington and, and kind of what he meant to you? What he went to the city, and just just what his loss probably leaves leaves in general for for those in hip hop who don't know. Oh man, be honest with you, bro. He to
0: me was at one point my my my, my segue into the city. There was nobody else I was talking to. I mean, so always put together the right events. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he always had the right people. He always had us come down. Just like when TJ, I tell people, like when TJ DJ first started. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you know, once again, we talk about the record pools, Upstart. You know what I mean? And going mm-hmm. back to that, man, how he had Upstart, he made sure that his people and his community were getting the music they were supposed to be getting from the outside community, not just from within the community. You
1: feel me? Right.
2: What
0: I mean? Right. And... Um, you know, it's, I'm still like, I'm still at a loss of words, man, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I stopped. about you talking about Big Cat, you know what I mean? Because of the impact that he has, you know, in, 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 in our society,
1: mm-hmm. you know, as hip-hop man, as
0: for Derek, I don't think Derek was ever given his pop proper respect, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Right. I, really, I really don't think so, but I don't think D ever got the, the positioning that he ever really wanted, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The respect from the major labels he never really got that you know what i mean um i don't i don't i don't think he was ever i don't think he was, it was told as one of them dudes that really got the movement started down here man i mean people even look at coming down here because i knew bigger but i knew i knew David better than i knew big at the time
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i'm talking about years ago you know you know 15 20 years ago right and you know, he was very, very impactful, man, to our community, to Jacksonville, man, what he did, and he's going to be greatly missed, man. I know he, gonna, he he was a friend of mine, you know what I mean? Outside of being a, a business associate, he was a friend of mine. Every time we see each other, we remember the hug and the smile, you know what I mean? Right. He was a good dude. He knew everybody. He respected everybody. He showed everybody that, that respect, you know, and respect that respect in turn, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that, that stem from that community, you know, that are still are myself included. Like, exactly. You know what I mean? And we can go through a bunch of names of people that got their start working at Derrick's Star record pool. Right. Whether they was working the door or they were working helping put the events or the showcases or whatever you were doing. A lot of people got showcased first time on the stage.
1: Right.
0: You feel what I'm saying? Right. So I, I seen all of this, man. And I watched them move around. Like I said, it, to me, it was like I was coming in from New York, so it was like T, every time he did Star record pool, to me, it was, it was like TJ DJs to me. Right. It was it was the equivalent. They said that it was in Jacksonville. Right. It was just moving down down the line, you know, down the southern line, man. So, yeah, man, I miss that brother, man. I, I still can't believe that he's gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it hurts. Yeah. I, I I did I shared this story
2: multiple times with, through uh through the episode that I did with Bodie, who was a huge influence. I mean, Cash and him always talk about this this hilarious story that they love to talk about between me and Bigga and an upstart record pool, but. Um, the first the first opportunity that I got when I um, when I moved back here from Tallahassee um, you know I called Bigger you know blew up his phone because I didn't know him well but I knew people who knew him and um, blew up his phone told him that I was with at that time I was working with Kenneth Darpo who was over at Universal SRC and I was an intern right and um And uh, you know, like you know, you don't know what kind of influence you being an intern really is going to be. But I told Bigga, and Bigga was like, "Yeah, man, this guy Derek Washington is having a record pool. You need to come to it or yada yada." I give you Bodie's number. Bodie, Bodie will walk you in. He walks me in, and you know, he introduces me to Derek, and I shake hands with Derek, and Derek's like, "Yeah, put the kid on stage with his with his this back in back in this day. This was before you used the computer. You had a folder." Where you wrote down all the DJs names and all the exactly. you know, all that kind of exactly. stuff. And 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 Bodie gets on the mic and he goes, "Yo, y'all niggas in this city always talking about y'all ain't got no opportunities. We got a nigga right here from Universal SRC right now. All y'all niggas need to line up and walk up on the stage and get his man your phone number and your email and your contact man. We trying to get niggas like, but that all happened. Auto- Automatically made, right. made you hot. Right. He made you hot. Yeah." oh yeah and it, and it all happened because he did, of he did,
0: the, he did the same thing for me bro every time I walked in the door he was like bro we got so and so from so and so and whatever label I was at whatever I was working he from New York City y'all need to get in this ear yeah, man if y'all wanna ever go to New York City this who you need to be hollering at right. you and know, your record broken this is who you need to be hollering he made me he, he's part of the reason I became who I became here in Jacksonville
2: he's the reason why we're having this conversation and I'm a, I'm gonna bring this back to a close believe on it on that same day the, not, Maybe not the last person. Maybe in my mind I want to remember it's the last person, but close to the last person that ends up signing my sheet is the person that introduces me to you. I don't oh. meet Shout Out unless I walk into that Upstart record pool meeting. I don't meet you unless I meet Shout Out. Yeah. right. And we'll close it at that. We
0: came full circle, man. <laughs> we we'll came close. full circle, man. And, I, and now we're here again, brother. Right. Talking
2: about the past, talking about the future, man. Now Matt though, before I, mean, I let and, you go, man, before I let you go, why don't you tell everybody how they can get in contact with you? Some stuff maybe that you have upcoming and and, and obviously just, just how people can can reach you if they want to get in contact with you and and you know, you know, do business no with you.
0: No problem, man. Well, you can always I mean I got several IGs, my personal one which is all about me and who, who I am as an individual, as an entrepreneur that I am. 30 years in the business, man, that's Manny Mad Dog, I-G-M-A-N-N-Y-M-A-D-D-O-G. Same thing on, on Twitter. Same thing on, on, on Facebook. Everything is Manny Mad Dog, M-A-N-N-Y-M-A-D-D-O-G. Um, you can also catch me on my company, um, one of my company pages, which is, one is the Collective Agency USA, T-H-E-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E-A-G-E-N-C-Y-U-S-A. Um, you can also check me out in terms of the music. where well, we do a consulting company, what we do the music is the Music Exchange Network with an X, M-U-S-I-C-X-C-H-A-N-G, Music Exchange Network. We also got um, Global Branding Inc., which is our company that we, we run all our products and Marketing campaigns, through um, in terms of product development and uh, um, uh, brand brand recognition, brand management, and things of that nature. But you could also check out um, Directors Coalition of America. If you're looking for a director, if you're looking for a producer, if you're looking for a place to shoot your next video. Directors Coalition of America. Um, that's where we run everything in terms in terms of uh, in terms of what I do, which is the next movement, Man, I'm going more, more into into television and film work and video work which I've been doing you already know for over 10 years Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so it's something that I'm getting heavily into now and it's pulling me so get at me through any of those IG's or you can hit me directly on my email which is uh, thecollectiveagency at yahoo.com send me an email subject you know use uh, uh, your name as a subject man get at me so this way you know that you heard about me do Brad's his show and be looking to reach out, you know, to do some business. Call me about business, man. Don't call me to ask me to listen to something. Don't <laughs> hit me to, you know. Yeah, I get I get a hundred those every day, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, if I, and if I listen to everybody shit without asking for, for something in return, man, I'll be doing that for everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Then I I, I would no longer be in business. So that's how people can get at me. And if you need to call the office, man, holler at us eight one eight eight five eight. Zero nine two zero eight one eight eight five eight zero nine two zero. That's the business line. Um, that's available from nine to five every day, Monday through Friday. Call that line, man, if you want to start some business. If you want a, if you want a package plan. You need you need uh you need a consultant for your company, man. Just so that you know, every every young entrepreneur in this business should have an OG behind them. You know what I mean? To guide them through because this is not an easy business to maneuver through. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? So I always tell yeah, get somebody behind you. And knows what they can do, knows what they're doing and can move you through this and get some money together, man. I'm gonna tell you that man. Don't come don't come spend ten thousand dollars put together your album, they don't have a dollar to even market yourself. <laughs> you know
1: what I
0: mean? Hundred percent. That's right. I tell cats all the time, man, but that being said, man, um, you know, I'm here, I'm not going nowhere, man. I've been blessed to be here. This year. year's makes thirty years that I've been in the business from eighty seven to two thousand seventeen. You know what I mean? So I'm blessed to still be here you know what I mean and I honor all those that came before me and all of those that are coming after me 100% you know what I mean and, and God willing I'm gonna be
2: here for a long time man so i <laughs> at let your boy for sure and if you want to get in contact with me man you can hit me up on the email est1984podcast at gmail.com you can even hit me up on the instagram est1984podcast if you want to hit me up on that personal instagram you can hit me up at Brandon Kobe Jacobs, man, you've been listening to my dog, Mad Dog Manny. I am Brandon Kobe Jacobs and you've been listening to The Established 1984 podcast. Take care. Woo.